You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We've got a real exciting show for you today, neighbors, so stick around. A little bit later, we'll be hearing from the one, the only, Micah Hanks from the Graylian Report. And he's always one of our favorite guests, and he has a lot of fascinating topics he wants to talk about. He even sent me a list, and he said, Gene, could you possibly talk about this? And he starts, by the way, with the mystery booms. Yeah. And we've heard stock markets going boom and bust, but this is something else. We'll get into that later. <laughs> Let's talk about something that's booming. Yeah. And that's called the Paracast Plus. All right? And we're offering still that special added offer for those who subscribe to one year or five years a copy of the ebook version of chris o'brien's stalking the tricksters now to make it easy for everyone we're sending it out as a pdf file which means you could read it on your mac pc on your android or ios phone you know it's easy you don't have to worry about a kindle or anything i guess it does work in kindle too and here's what the deal is the powercast plus we offer the ad free version of the show with higher quality audio We then give you a second radio show called After the Powercast, which is about 25, 35 minutes of extended interviews where the show isn't enough. We go into After the Powercast, extended interviews with guests such as Nick Redfern a few weeks ago. We also include color commentary, latest news and views, all interesting stuff, all part of the package. And video will come later, by the way. You learn more at plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. And we've added a new feature this week to make it easier to see your new files. We have a listing for members of the Paracast Plus of the latest episodes displayed on our forum's homepage. That's something new this week. So check it out, plus.theparacast.com. Now, in last week's episode of After the Paracast, I assigned Chris O'Brien to bring us Ray Stanford, but it's going to take a while longer to get him ready for the show. What's going on? Well, hmm, I think Ray is taking exception to some of the folks on the on the Paracast forums and how they're using innuendo and what if type rationale to, I think, suggest that Ray is a charlatan, that he's a government agent, that he's not above board and honest. Uh, they're insinuating that his character is unstable and his uh, involvement in the 701 movie project um, has been curtailed. Now let's go to that very quickly here. We know that James Fox, who was the producer of the 701, the movie, spent several days with Ray Stanford and evidently was very impressed. But one of the producers, Tracy Torme, who is a friend of the show. We've had him on several times, and I know him sort of. He had a few words with Ray. Is that how it went on? They didn't get along? I made the mistake of uh, suggesting that the two of them talk on the phone because there was some misunderstanding about an aspect of the show that was going to include the La Madeira sighting that happened allegedly the day after, which Ray was convinced was a hoax. Tracy was not. The two of them did not agree to disagree. Ray being the very mercurial, you know, he's he can be a hothead. I mean, he's very thin-skinned in many ways. And, you know, he's, he's quite the curmudgeon. He pretty much told Tracy that it was all, you know, a bunch of BS and not to waste your time. 
Tracy took exception to that, and they just uh, they did not agree to disagree. And, they agreed uh, to not talk to each other. Well, you know, they both uh, Ray felt that Tracy wasn't uh, showing him the amount of respect that he's due. Tracy assured me that he was very respectful, allowed Ray to talk, didn't try to cut him off. And then Ray said he did the exact opposite. I tried to arrange a, a call between the two of them, a three-way, and it just evolved from there. And, uh, you know, I've known Tracy for well over 20 years, and I've never seen him get angry. And uh, he really got upset about it. He he felt that Ray was calling him a liar. And then Ray said, well, you're, you're calling me a liar because you did cut me off. And it's just like, uh, you know, it the sandbox got a little cluttered with some emotion there. And unfortunately, you know, Ray's just, uh, he feels that he's uh, due, you know, a certain amount of respect. He didn't feel he received it from Tracy. Tracy being the consummate professional, uh, it's hard for me to believe that he didn't uh, afford uh, Ray that that respect. I, I have a hard time believing it. But Ray insists he didn't, and Tracy insists he did, and there we go. Um, <laughs> you know, they both, uh, they both are kind of entrenched in their uh, particular points of view. And what can you do? I, you know, I, it's an amazing thing that I've been able to, to hang in there with Ray and, and call him on some things and, and, you know, try to, try to, you know, read him the writing on the wall when it comes to his uh, playing with other kids, uh, his social interactions. And, um, you know, he, he does have a habit of putting his foot in his mouth uh, in a way that I think is is unintentional and innocent, but at the same time, people take umbrance to it, and and this was a perfect example of that. And it's not the first time, so I, it's just amazing to me. I've been able to still maintain a, a fairly close relationship with a man, even though you know I've you know really had him uh, pretty angry at me at times. <laughs> so, contrary to what people insinuate on the forums. I don't believe everything that Ray Stanford says. I don't believe any of it. I can just recognize good scientific and analytical work, which is totally being uh, denigrated and denied by the naysayers on the forum, simply because they're they have not been exposed to the uh, width and breadth and depth of the of the work that he's done, um, such as uh, Ben Moss, myself, uh, Tony Angiola, and, and others who have spent the time with Ray. They they know. Uh, that they're looking at at genuine groundbreaking work. What are the two guys' names again? Well, Ben Moss is a uh, is a MUFON investigator in I think Maryland or, or Virginia. I'm not sure. I think uh, Maryland, and is um, on on the show uh, Hangar One. Uh, his appearances are one of the few things about the show I think that are <laughs> that are pretty good. Uh, ben is a, a pretty passionate guy himself, and he's kind of getting into it on the forums. And I'm I'm. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to kind of try to ratchet things down there. Ray just is very controversial, I think, in many people's minds. And the fact that he won't release uh, his information on some somebody else's whim or wish uh, for entertainment value does not sit well with many people. And obviously, a few of our forum posters take that frustration and uh and then blow it into this whole uh you know personal attacks uh, on ray and it's going to stop uh, very soon i've been sitting on the sidelines uh, for the past past few days about it but ray is the real deal and i don't care what anybody says i've i've said this so many times i sound like a broken record and when he's ready to release his information he will and you just got to be patient and you you the more you slag the man and the more you denigrate him in his character, the less likely it is that he's going to present it in a way that you're going to be happy with. 
So if it's just uh, held back for the scientific community, that will be one of the main reasons why. Um, obviously, this this if it get re- it gets released in any form, it'll uh, eventually make it in, out into the public. But you're just going to have to wait longer. The more you slag the man, uh, the angrier you make him, and the less likely he is to uh, to allow everybody to see this stuff in a you know in a quicker, timely manner. And the impression I get here is, if he continues to be slagged, flamed, attacked. In the Paracast forums, yeah, he won't. Come he's on not going to really want to come on the show because he's, why he's, do that and then put himself in yeah. front of the public and be abused? Now the exactly. key here is that we want freedom in the forums. People are free to express their point of view. People are free to disagree with Ray Stanford. Yeah. And when you start questioning somebody's motives and you get into this wackiness, well, he must be a government agent. Just argue over the facts. Now, I know that we have a lot of posts in our forums about Ray Stanford in the past week or two. Chris is going to go through them. A few people are going to be told, just scale it back. Be respectful. Criticize him. I know at times here on the Paracast, we have to go after a guest as we did with last week's episode featuring Margie Kay. But I think we did it in a respectful fashion. And that's the whole thing here that has to be emphasized. And by the way, before we get to Micah Hanks, I would mention that Margie K did write to me, and she is at least considering now, at long last, the problems with he who shall not be named and Billy Meyer. And that's all I'm going to say. Micah Hanks coming up next with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. And the home security industry wants you to believe that's your only option. They've got hordes of salesmen out there trying to scare you into signing one of their long-term contracts. You get stuck writing huge checks month after month with no way out. It's robbery by contract, and it can cost you thousands. But there's a better way to protect your home. Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe has no contracts. None. You'll get award-winning 24-7 protection. Security professionals watching over your home, ready to instantly send police to the rescue for just $14.99 per month. That's less than half what most companies charge. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafedefense.com today for an exclusive 10% offer and get a free keychain remote worth $25. Only when you go to simplysafedefense.com. Simplysafedefense.com. 
Are you excited about the World Wide Web? Do you want a place where you can share your ideas and express yourself? Well, dial up your modems and stream on down to the GCN Live Community Forum. Lots of radical features await you there. Wow, Internet Guy, I am so glad I went to the GCN Live Community Forum. You too can discover why the World Wide Web is awesome. Just go to GCNlive.com slash forum. That's GCNlive.com slash forum. I'll see you in cyberspace. Space. Friend at GCN Live on Diaspora and Cross.tv. Mike Stennerson from Midas Resources. At no time in history have precious metals been more important, certainly not in my 22 years in the industry. The dollar has lost over 90% of its value in the last 60 years. No fiat currency has ever survived the government printing presses. Ours is not immune. The time is now to be proactive. 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Anything tied to the dollar is at risk. CDs, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, stocks, bonds, you name it, so decide. Do you want to leave a legacy of wealth or debt for your family? The choice is yours. Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, who includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Call 1-800-714-6993. 1-800-714-6993. 1-800-714-6993 today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. It's always a hoot, always informative, always provocative when we bring on Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report. A round of applause. Micah, welcome back. Oh, guys, always good to be here with you. There. That's enough. Okay. Actually, I have some great sound effects of applause I used to use on the Tech Night Out Live in the early years. I have not brought it out because then I have to bring out the booze and the catcalls. <laughs> and just before we started this episode, we were talking about provocative things, and we just briefly mentioned Donald Trump. And we're doing this a few hours before his debut as a debater on the Fox primary with nine other presidential candidates. But just think now how our presidential campaigns, Micah Hanks, have become equivalent to wrestling matches. Yeah, they really pretty much have. Uh, you've got rankings, of course. Like, for instance, uh, tonight, the uh, Republican debate that I'm going to miss because I'm going to be performing with my band in the next town over, but I'm sure I'll watch it. I'll watch all the debates. And uh, this is going to be several days ago by the time you hear this. Right. Yeah. So for those listening, yeah, exactly. But uh, but you're, you're right. There are tiers. For instance, those who didn't make it as finalists to the primary debate are going to have kind of like a loser's bracket that occurs earlier in the afternoon. And and then, you know, we've got people like, uh, as, as you'd mentioned prior to, to air, Donald Trump, who's very enigmatic. Since it's the Paracast, I think he almost qualifies in and of himself as being something of a, an enigma, because first of all, nobody seems to really know what to make of him. He's obviously loud. He's outspoken. 
Uh, he's been called on the carpet somewhat for being a flip-flopper, but nonetheless somebody who is managing to surge in the polls. I, I'm undecided on Trump. I find him both interesting and also a little uh, disconcerting. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. And uh, and that's not, you know, that's not an admonishment or an endorsement. It's just stating the facts. This is a very unusual election that's shaping up even so early on. So many of these bodies are there. And I was calculating before we go into any further discussion for a two-hour show, 10 guests, 120 minutes. That means minus commercials and other announcements, maybe 10 minutes per candidate. So that's all they have to present their point of view and explain why they should be elected president of the United States. 10 minutes. Now, Donald Trump is an expert at doing that because he's a consummate TV performer. These other people may be in every way superior in terms of ability, knowledge, point of view, whatever. It's not going to matter. It's all about the show. But there you go. It's a reality show nation right now. And the same thing for us is true for coverage of UFOs or anything. So we argue about these TV shows that tend to be less than factual, designed to be more entertaining. And that's what news is nowadays. It's just a show. Oh, absolutely. Gene, I don't know if you saw earlier today on social media... <laughs> Either you're psychic or you saw what I put up because I was ranting. Actually, about I'm it. psycho, but that's different. <laughs> yeah, right. No, well, you and I are usually a very like mind anyway. So, it, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be either of the three. But the but the I'm seven it, times older than he is, so it's kind of difficult. <laughs> well, in Earth years, at least, right, space brother? <laughs> that thing, does not compute. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually. I come from France. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you're a conehead now. I thought that was a Sasquatch. Aren't we referring to the Sagittal Crest? But anyway, who knows? Well, you know, they're actually doing conehead commercials, the original cast for, I don't know, one of the insurance companies. Really? I'm not surprised. Yeah. The other thing is about Dan yeah, Elgoy is now he weighs about four times as much as he did then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I just wonder who the first of the Republican wannabes are going to use Trump's uh, line from The Apprentice uh, on him that he's fired. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, there's probably odds in Vegas on that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Chris, there should be a drinking game designed around that <laughs> just to see how many times that comes up in relation to this debate or anything that follows thereafter. Well, they're learning how the UFO field behaves. Yeah. Be oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what's interesting, guys, is back was, it, I guess, the 2008 election. I mean, there was a lot of discussion of UFOs in relation to, I guess it was more the Democratic debates because we had Dennis Kucinich who had claimed, I think, on the day of the birth of, oh gosh, was it uh, Shirley MacLaine? He had been there and he steps out. Uh, uh, it wasn't her birth, by the way. I think it was, was it one of her children or one of his? I don't recall, but he stepped out onto a balcony and claimed he saw one of these, you know, classic triangle-shaped UFOs, kind of like a TR3. Then there was, uh, oh gosh, what was the governor of New Mexico? You remember his name? Richardson. Uh, yeah, and uh, talking about how we needed full disclosure on what may or may not have happened at Roswell and whatnot. Uh, we had Barack Obama respond famously to the question where he said, look, I don't know if we have intelligent life out there, but I know that there is intelligent life on Earth. And I remember when he said that thinking, well, that's debatable too. Let's just be fair. Whether or not there's intelligent <laughs> life on Earth, that might be debatable too. <laughs> well, if it is, it's it's pretty few and far between, uh, I think, in, in relationship to, uh, well, never mind. I don't want to go there. No, but I, how can we actually get anywhere in learning anything about UFOs if it's all for the show? Is that a reference by chance to any television programs that are currently running on the various networks? How about all of them? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I've got friends, you guys do too, who appear on those programs. I generally don't. 
And I've actually, and I'm I'm not exaggerating here. Uh, I think Chris knows too, because he and I've talked at length about this. Right. You know, I've probably turned down more uh, interviews on TV shows than I have uh, been accepted to be on uh, interviews on television shows, which are few and far between. And I think that t- there are two reasons why. Because A, I don't like the presentation on the shows. Or when the producers contact me, they reject me because of the views that I expressed during the, the pre-taping call. Uh, right. And, and and I know many of us, too, who have actually gone on shows, and then they don't like the way that they've been presented. Uh, I won't name names, but i got a good friend who was asked uh, specifically uh, to put on a coat uh, and to, uh, I guess, to put it nicely, clean up his appearance before he could make an appearance on one of the popular television programs dealing with this subject. And he told him, no, I'm not going to do that, because if you think that that brings any more credibility to the program, <laughs> have all your experts <laughs> sitting there wearing coats and... Some of your listeners can probably... I can just guess who that particular person is. Yes. I'll just say this gentleman has a very nonconformist attitude about things, and his manner of dress bespeaks that, which is wonderful. That's what we love. Yeah, that's what makes him a character. And, yeah, and to say that, uh, no, I'm not going to put on that coat, I think it, it provides some great commentary about where these shows are going. We don't care if we're credible or not, as long as we look like we're educated yeah. and the opinions that we express are coming from a more academic perspective, whether or not that's really the case. Well, we have one particular TV news network where the female anchors must always wear very short skirts. If they wear pantsuits, they'll be thrown off the air or very close to it. They'll get a nasty memo from the head of that network. I will not mention which one that is. Now, another area where, of course, you see a lot of wackiness or a lot of outrageousness is a forum. Like we have forum.thepowercast.com, the Powercast forums. I think we're one of the best forums for paranormal discussions online. But still, you have people get in there and they posture and they pontificate and they play games, role-playing games, and they try to have fun or something, sometimes at the expense of other people. And sometimes it doesn't get to be very pleasant. And we were talking about this, Chris and I, before you came on, in relation to somebody we both know, someone Chris knows very well, a UFO paranormal researcher. Well, a historic figure, Ray Stanford. Sure. Somebody who's been in the field for many, many years, who goes back to the 50s, and was obviously involved in the investigation of the Sicaro, New Mexico case. And they're really giving him with both barrels. Yeah. We'll get into that and how these things manifest themselves and also whether you, Micah Hanks, have had encounters with Ray Stanford in our next segment. <laughs> with Gene and Chris, you're Got in it. the Paracast. Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Did you know some countries are now banning GMO foods? It's true. That's why for quality storable foods, you need ready-made resources. For over 19 years, we've become the name you can trust for thousands of products, like Numana Healthy Food Storage. All Numana storable foods are non-GMO, non-soy and gluten-free available. Call 800-627-3809 or click readymaderesources.com. Ready-made resources. 
We don't just sell the products, we live it. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Serious investors and traders want to make an 81% return in 60 seconds? We can show you how using our free tool. Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars in profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. Our tool is so simple, my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Best part, it's 100% free. Go to richmoneyrich.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. richmoneyrich.com. That's richmoneyrich.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. This is Dan Pillard. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. He does it very well. We're still working, by the way, on that scheme where we'll have listeners do the Paracast and we'll include this part of the show stingers. We'll figure that out maybe in the next week yeah. or two. Yeah, I'm wearing it thin. Well, I know that. I didn't want to say. I did it once, by the way, and I got good marks for it. I will probably <laughs> never do it again because all I wanted to do is bring out my inner Lamont Cranston and the shadow in doing it. Micah Hanks is joining us, and we're talking here about a lot of the posturing and flame-throwing and arguments in UFOs. And like we have this ongoing discussion right now regarding the work of Ray Stanford. Now, before we go on, our listeners know he can be a pretty crusty guy. 
And the first time he was on the show in 2009 with Chris, by the way, it was a question whether he or our former co-host would hang up first. And the former co-host did it first. He hung up about 10 minutes before the show ended. So, Micah, have you had any encounters with Ray Stanford? Believe it or not, I haven't. I have never uh, had any encounters with Ray Stanford. I've heard him numerous times on this program, of course, uh, (laughs) which I always like to point out to people. I very seldom have time to listen to other podcasts, and when I do, this is one of the ones that I try to make time for. Uh, so, But I've never encountered him beyond what I've heard on this program, and of course, the literature, his, his research and involvement, of course, with the Socorro thing. Well, he had his first uh, UFO event uh, occur in the mid-50s, which he filmed along with a friend who also filmed it. Um, and it was listed for a long time in Blue Book as an unknown, and then they switched it as a as filming of Venus during the day, which they had, but that was the first part of the film. The second part of the film is the UFO that shows up and hovers in the clouds that uh, was shown on In Search of and other shows back in the 70s. Um, but, you know, I've always maintained that there's, there's one person in the field that's actually scientifically pulling the field forward currently, and that's Ray Stanford. And Combine that with the fact that he's, uh, you know, a real historic figure in the field, knew everybody. Um, one of the forum posts uh, slagging him says that he was a, a, a member of the Adamski cult, uh, for instance. And Ray knew uh, Adamski very well. He would go out there and visit him because he was trying to figure out how he was hoaxing his photographs. And he finally got Adamski to fess up and show him and his brother Rex how he was actually faking the films and photographs, and um, well, not the films, but the photographs. Ray thinks that Adamski did early on um, have a one or two legitimate sightings, and that jazzed him to a point where he thought that he could capitalize on that. And then, subsequently, his whole contactee career uh, developed. To go back quickly to Adamski, his sightings, I think, happened in the nineteen forties, late forties. Yeah, and yep. that's where he started lecturing and yep. everything. And it's one of those things here, and this is a phenomenon maybe Michael wants to talk about, which is maybe somebody has a real experience early on. And we can assume that of some of these people, maybe not of others. And then, then they get the public acclaim. And people expect that they know something. Oh, my God, you saw one of those things. Tell us more. And they love that because maybe they have feelings of inferiority. They're not anybody who's achieved anything important in their lives or they don't think they have, and suddenly they're famous. And they think, you know what, maybe if I had another sighting, that sighting or experience, whatever it is, would enable me to continue doing the lectures. And maybe if I had a sighting and it's not good enough, next time I meet E.T. in the California desert. And I wonder how often that's happened. I wonder how many of these more outrageous contact claims began was something real. And then, unfortunately, human nature took over and they tried to extend the joy. Micah? I th- well, yeah, I certainly think that that's the case. Maybe more often than not, as it relates not only to UFO sightings, but also especially to those who claim to be uh, you know, abductees. And when I say claim to be, I hate to have to give disclaimers, but I want to be very clear that I'm not trying to cast doubt on those because, you know, I've sat and had dinner with Travis Walton, and I find him to be a really nice guy. I've I've met a lot of people who have said that they've had these experiences. I do think, frankly, that the way that people who present the material thereafter, uh, you know, following the claims of the individuals, that that I think it's the retelling of these events 
uh, and in a way such that is intended uh well maybe maybe not intent intended per se but they tend to nonetheless fall within the kind of the constraints of the memes and the culture surrounding ufology what ends up happening is that the stories as they're retold over the years begin to pick up little tidbits elements of a broader narrative that is kind of emerged which may or may not be entirely factual or or accurate for this very reason uh, in part, I think, uh, of course, in addition to trying to make the film scary, uh, Fire in the Sky, for instance, became a horror film that really played off of a lot of the more horrific elements of alien abduction and things and the like, which Travis Walton, when he gives his presentations on that subject, tries to differentiate. He says, this is what happened in the film, but this is what really happened to me. This film was completely different from my experience. Now, it, we, looking back at, at the earlier reports uh, you know, that constitute early, the golden age maybe of UFOs, uh, you you also have people who didn't necessarily claim to be contactees or abductees or anything of that nature who nonetheless described what they experienced a little differently as time went on. And I think that there's a very clear reason why this happens. Kenneth Arnold described these swept-winged aircraft. Uh, with time and the adopting of the term flying saucer by the media, he began to describe what he had seen as being saucers as well and maintained that at least one of them he believed was a swept-winged craft as he had initially said they all appeared to be. That doesn't, to me, cast doubt on what he saw, and many of the, the the modern skeptical debunkers will tend to take that attitude that, well, if we can find anything that seems to to not mesh well with the rest of the story or any inconsistencies, we can throw the entire thing out. I've even seen people try to do this with the Cash Landrum case in recent years, which I think is tantamount to character assassination of the witnesses. And Kirk Collins and I have talked about it. You guys have talked with him just as well. What we What we need to see rather than, okay, this didn't mesh well, so it's all bunk, is maybe psychologically – Memories change over time, and in fact, looking into this myself, I found that there are uh, studies that seem to indicate just that, that people, uh, after the fact, will tend to update their memories, and it is possible, you know, although honestly to do so, it is possible, I believe, to update memories, and hence I think these narratives change from time to time. And then finally, there are some people, I think, who maybe even have a genuine experience, and rather than updating memories or anything, they do resort to fabrication so that they can continue the attention and the kind of role that they find themselves playing in the culture surrounding UFOs. So, yeah, I certainly think that all of those factors have kind of rolled into this ball of of what ufology is, supposedly. And that's why often I espouse the skepticism that we need. We have to break some of that down yeah. and try and look at what people actually say. Don't read the books written by the people who read the books who read the books that were written you know, 30 years ago about a subject. Go back and look at what the witnesses in those instances said. And I do think when you look at the old cases – uh, you can find elements that maybe have fallen to the wayside. Not, not that they were never reported or discussed, but things that people have forgotten because of the right. kind of snowballing that occurs. Yeah. Now, I was interesting here. I was reading a blog on a different perspective. That's Kevin Randall's blog. He was talking about one of the Roswell witnesses. And when he interviewed that person, he noticed in that person's home, he had a Roswell book and other information about the case which may have reinforced and or altered his memory. And the thing I always worried about Roswell is that we have an event that occurs in 1947. By the late 70s, it's rediscovered. It doesn't matter how it was rediscovered. We had William Moore and Stanton Friedman running across this case and investigating it. And of course, they worked with Charles Burlitz to write the book. But here's the problem. We're talking about bringing back memories of events that occurred three decades earlier. And you have to think with cultural phenomenon and things that changed, how could we possibly hope to get at the core event? And then we have these 
end-of-life confessions, deathbed confessions, of which there were a very few. And then they seemed to remember something else. Maybe there was an extraterrestrial type of personage involved. The key here is how can we hope to take a case so far removed from anyone's memory and realize what really happened? Sure, if you can get some documents and everything, or maybe somebody took notes that day or kept a diary or wrote something down, well, you could say, this is what you remembered then. But if there's no such thing, how can you possibly get at the real event and how can you possibly reach a conclusion about that event? And notice I am not bringing up the slide gate or the topic that shall not be named about, you know what, that happened in Mexico City. Don't want to get there. Micah Hanks has the Graylian Report and lots more things. I'm Gene. He's Chris. You're in the Paracast. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. Find out what they don't want you to know. Healthy, organic, fresh fish, robust, mouth-watering vegetables, all from your home. It's called aquaponics. This brilliant, self-sustaining protein and veggie system is perfect for year-round growing. Know exactly where your food is coming from. Aquaponicsource.com is the one-stop shop for all your needs. Fish, fish food, plumbing, full systems, classes, and more. Learn to build your own system. Go to aquaponicsource.com for a free guide to aquaponics. That's aquaponicsource.com. Would you like to use your IRA funds to buy precious metals and hold them at home? Are you wary of the stock market, paper gold, or faraway depositories? With a checkbook IRA, you may legally take custody of IRA-owned gold and silver. Visit CheckbookIRA.com and learn how IRA owners in all 50 states have already taken control. CheckbookIRA.com CheckbookIRA.com Paid non-attorney spokesperson, Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas, is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich, working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? 
With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Now, a twice as nice Twin Kit special offer from Complete H2O Minerals for all GCN listeners. Get a Complete H2O Minerals Twin Kit with 33 different minerals, vitamins, and amino acids all in a liquid form. Enough for two people for one month. Regular price $89.95. But now, Complete H2O Minerals is offering the Twin Kit for $69.95. And all GCN listeners receive a bonus 16-ounce bottle of Ionic Silver absolutely free with free shipping. A $120 total value. Hurry, limited time offer. Call 803-794-4767 or click CompleteH2OMinerals.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Micah, I just went through a long monologue there about nothing in particular, but you get the point here. It's something that we're investigating cases that went back so far that What's remembered about them is altered by your culture, what they read. How do we get at the core event again? You bring up some really good points, um, Gene. And I, I want to actually, rather than talking about Roswell, illustrate my feelings about that by comparing it with another incident that was really interesting to me. And, and also some of the, the great names in UFO research who have weighed in on this over the years. Um, briefly to talk about Roswell, really I look at some of the researchers of the years who've been involved with that and the way that uh, in truth – their ideological perspectives toward UFOs have become pretty biased, in my opinion. And thus, I think that we have to be very careful about how certain individuals allow the, the biases to color their interpretation of what may or may not have happened. And hence, when Kevin Randall talks about Roswell, really, I feel that my own perspectives on that are fairly well aligned with his. And I appreciate Kevin Randall's views on that almost preeminently. One thing Kevin does is when he investigates something, he even wrote a book about doing this, he goes back to the original source material, not the quote of the quote and the reference of the previous reference. He goes back as far as possible, as much as he can, to the original source to see what really happened or what was really claimed. Go ahead, please. Yes, and maybe that's what I like about him, really, because now that you mentioned that, that really kind of mirrors what I was just talking about a moment ago. When I was talking, for instance, about the Cash Landrum thing with Kirk Collins, he had been talking about how doing that same thing, going back and looking at the early statements from the witnesses, it wasn't necessarily a a diamond-shaped object that was described. It was a very brightly lit object that the grandson, Colby, had described as possibly being diamond-shaped, which we could consider any number of reasons why the child may have perceived that, especially if he'd been in the car and if the glass was, you know, uh, if it was reflecting against or refracted by the, the, the windshield itself. Again, I don't want to start drawing tenuous threads to try and explain some phenomena, but if maybe what we think we know about that case isn't as it actually has been discussed, maybe it's time to rethink things. And you find those kind of things when you do that, when you go all the way back and you look at precisely what the witnesses said more recently, after their actual experience and not, again, the retellings of the retellings of the retellings. Now, that said, 
There was an interesting circumstance that came about, which you guys will remember, that occurred at the citizens' hearing on UFO disclosure a couple of years ago. I didn't get to go. I believe Chris was there. There was this uh, retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Richard French that appeared, and there was a bit of contentious argument about his statements because he uh, had talked about, and uh, as was reported by Lee Spiegel in the Huffington Post, uh, he had discussed having witnessed, I think off the coast of Newfoundland, sometime maybe in the 1950s, a, a UFO go beneath the water. And he said that a crew of aliens came out and began repairing the craft under the water. There were a number, I don't, you know, again, maybe for all you or I know, he really had that experience. But I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking, okay, well, first, where was he positioned, more importantly, that he was able to see down into the water and observe these aliens going about this work with this UFO? This whole story seemed very strange. Some researchers said that it seemed to bear characteristics of another investigation that was entirely removed from what uh, he claimed that he had been observing. And his story was that not only did he observe this, but on behalf of Blue Book that he played down the entire incident, and hence why you'd never find records of it. But that it had been reported in the Blue Book papers, the incident at least, and the fact that he'd investigated this. So I went to the Blue Book files, which as we all know have been available online for a number of years, although I think that uh, one of the websites, um, Ancestry.com perhaps actually, somehow claims a copyright thing, and hence our, our friend uh, John Greenwald had to take him down off of his website. But there are other places where they can be read. Going back and reviewing the files for the year in question, I couldn't find any kind of report that seemed to indicate that there was an investigation by Blue Book uh, that involved Newfoundland. Now, it could have also involved Canadian officials, who knows, but the thing is is that I found very little that seemed to substantiate the story that Richard French told. Talking with uh, Alejandro Rojas and some of the folks at Open Minds, they similarly felt that maybe he was misremembering something that you know supposedly happened years and years and years prior to, and that maybe his retelling of what he thinks had happened had actually been a culmination of things that he had read in other literature that maybe had influenced his misremembering. Now, to further complicate things, what's really interesting is that nobody seemed to catch this, and I found that in John Keel's book, Mothman Prophecies, there is a Richard French who was the very fellow who goes and speaks with the woman uh, wearing plain clothes, shows up in a Ford Mustang, and, and is offered a bowl of jello that he tries to drink. And John Keel, of course, famously wrote in the book Mothman Prophecies, this Richard French was not who he said he was. And in fact, he was an imposter like all these others, which, of course, was part of the MIB lore that was being uh, presented at that time. So not to fault Keel, he was convinced that this man was an imposter when, in fact, a Richard French of the Air Force was named and actually, you know, on record as far back as when he authored that book. So I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, someone who was involved with UFO research and had worked with Blue Book. But some of the stories, you have to wonder what exactly we're supposed to make of those. So it could be interpreted two ways, Gene. Was it a complete misremembrance and he was being honest? Or was this completely a falsehood that was being presented as further evidence of some sort of a misinformation campaign that's been ongoing. Now, I know that's conspiratorial, and I present that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Micah, let me, let me just uh, break in here. Uh, yeah. Richard French contacted me a number of years ago. This would have been about 2006 or seven. At the time, I think he claimed he lived in Sedona, yeah. and uh, he wanted to talk to me. And for some reason, I just... I just felt kind of leery of opening lines of communication with him, and I polite, politely told him I was busy or something. And he was very persistent. Uh, he contacted me a number of times. And then I finally met him, um, I think, in the first UFO, my, uh, UFO International Congress uh, in Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. And he introduced himself. And, and he, I, just, I just felt that there was something kind of hinky about the guy. Um, he just – he seemed too eager to – 
become like a figure or become uh, notorious or whatever. Um, he seemed like there was a lust for recognition there. And I, I just never really gave him the time of day for some reason. I just kind of had a, a sense about the man that, uh, that everything wasn't uh, above board and there was something kind of nefarious or possibly pathological about him, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Can I get that also, Chris? Oh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, your point is well taken about uh, going back to primary data. Uh, when I researched my um, Stalking the Herd book, that's what I uh, attempted to do is go back and find the original articles that were referred to in, in, in people's databases and get myself uh, as pure and as um, close to the event, you know, people's recollections, people's statements. Um, especially from investigators and law enforcement. Um, I think that was really important to do. And one of the things that we found, which is very interesting, was the the Alexander Hamilton, um, you know, abducted calf, uh, which was subs- subsequently discovered mutilated, allegedly, and going back to the original press accounts of that. And we, much to our surprise, uh, David Perkins and I found that Jerry Clark had fabricated the whole Liars Club uh, scenario about Hamilton, and in fact, a a, a quite an extensive uh, affidavit uh, attesting to his honesty was signed by the twelve you know <laughs> pillars of the community and notarized. Wait a minute, so Jerry, Jerry Clark, you say? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. really. I mean, fabricated- yeah, we found the article where he said that uh, he referred to an article where uh, Alexander Hamilton did a mea culpa and said, well. You know, it, it. You know, I was I was just making it up as part of a liars club, and quite the opposite. Uh, we found in that article the fact he came up with this uh, an explanation. He says, "Well, I must have been mistaken. It was actually an ant with a with a hair crawling up a hair that was hanging." He he came up with this outlandish, you know, what if scenario to explain what he had seen, which he and his farmhand and his son. Uh, all agreed uh, was a large aerial craft uh, flying flying over there, drifting over the 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 farm, and in the he did a real tongue in cheek kind of disclaimer, saying, "Well, if it wasn't what I said it was, it must have it, the only thing it could have been was this." And he described a miniature example of something, uh, you know, something. I forget what it was, but it was a hair hanging down off of something slowly drifting by their faces with an ant crawling, you know, at the end of the hair. <laughs> uh, and that's not a mea culpa saying that it was all a, a joke uh, with the Liars Club. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I found the actual uh, – well, David Perkins actually found the the actual uh, microfilm of the original article as it was stated in the Kansas paper. And, you know, Jerry really wanted to distance the mutilation phenomenon from ufology and back in the mid-'70s when it was really hot and heavy all across the, the Midwest. And uh, I think, um, you know, he got a little outside of himself by by stretching the facts to the extent that he did beyond the breaking point. So it, it, I think my point here is that investigators – once they become entrenched with a particular view or a particular conclusion that they are convinced is, is the right one, whether consciously or unconsciously, they will skew their treatment of the data to conform to their particular agenda, just as the contactees do, just as some of the witnesses who maybe embellish their accounts. Um, you know, For instance, Ray Stanford met and knew most of the you know, your your most popular contactees during the 50s, Adamski, Williamson, Daniel Fry, Truman Bethram. I can go down the list. Uh, George Before Adamski. we go down that list and make it any larger, let's do the break. With okay. Gene and Chris and Micah Hanks, you're in The Paracast. 
Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Sciatica, lower back pain, hip pain, poor posture. If you suffer from any of these problems, get ready to relax. Introducing an amazing product that's been in the market for over 25 years, the Sacro Wedgie. It was invented by a football coach using a common sense osteopath technique. He created this device to help his athletes by isolating and supporting the sacrum, which is the keystone of our anatomy. This wedge-shaped bone is in the center of our hips, where a lot of pain starts. Simply relax 20 minutes daily on the amazingly simple Sacro Wedgie and let Gravity do the work, helping muscles rebalance and start releasing nerves. Sit in the sacro wedgie at the computer or while traveling to help correct posture to finally help relieve those stubborn aches and pains for only $33.95. It's made in the USA, so click the family-owned website at sacrowedgie.com, spelled S-A-C-R-O-W-E-D-G-Y.com, or call 1-800-737-9295. That's 1-800-737-9295. Relax your back pain away with the sacro wedgie. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So you were saying that, of course, our friend Ray Stanford knew or was acquainted with many of the contactees of the 1950s. Chris O'Brien? Well, well yeah, many, if not most, of the, of the ones that got all the visibility and, and notoriety. Sure. He felt that Van, Ta- Van Tassel may have had uh, events early on. Uh, Williamson may have had events early on. Um, and Adamski may have had an event or two early on. But, uh, you know, he rattled off a whole list that he felt were just completely, pi- you know, dog pilers that were inventing things like Daniel Fry, for instance, and Brother Boko and, and all that. The one contactee that he felt was legitimate was Truman Bethram. He said, um, and he related an amazing story that confirmed uh, Bethram's claim that um, a medallion was, uh, was, Aura Reigns had a medallion made for him, which... Uh, Ray ended up meeting the the jeweler that made the medallion, and the jeweler happened years later to encounter Truman Bethram in a conference or a, a public speaking arrangement, and um, not knowing where the medallion had ended up, uh, this diminutive, uh, strange-looking woman, very very short in stature, had contracted him to, or you know, paid him to make this medallion, and uh, he had no idea who she was or 
you know, where the medallion ended up. And he saw Truman Bathroom at a at a speaking engagement, and he noticed his medallion around Bathroom's neck, and then realized that the little uh, commander of the s- spaceship uh, or Reigns that he was talking about was the woman that had him make the medallion. So, you know, there are some weird, interesting things. Uh, Truman Bethram wrote an entire book of rhyming in, in rhyming couplets um, as a love poem to Aura Rains. Now, how many contactees have, have written a book uh, of poetry, you know, written for their alien uh, contact? Now, uh, I recall something, Chris. Wasn't there an issue with a divorce against Bethram because of his supposed yeah. affair with this mm-hmm. alien? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. His wife couldn't handle it. <laughs> you know, it was way, it was way too, too, too weird for her. Uh, but Bethlehem was a, just an aw shucks kind of country guy. You know, he he really never tried to really capitalize on it. He was almost forced to write a book, uh, which I have a signed copy, by the way, of Border Flying Saucer. And if you read that book, it's very matter of fact. And he really didn't do anything beyond that, except you know, address some groups and tell people about it. But he sort of disappeared off into into history, into obscurity. Uh, he never really attempted to create a cult around himself uh, like Williamson did, like Daniel Fry did, like Adamski did, and in a lesser way, Van Tassel. But, um, you know, some of the elements of that case are very, very intriguing uh, to me. And Ray, Ray uh, assures me that if there was any of the contactees that may have been legit, the only one that he could think of uh, was Truman Bathroom. And that comes from somebody that, that met and knew and spent time with all these people. He wasn't members of their cult as has been suggested on the uh, Paracast forum, but he was investigating them, and he actually debunked Daniel Fry. He debunked George Adamski, which led to Jim Mosley doing the real public debunking. So, you know, this is a very nuanced field, especially back, as Micah coined it, in the golden age of ufology. People, you know, were wet behind the ears and and ready to believe anything. I think today in this modern age, uh, so many people are cynical and, just overloaded with the the pop culture sort of entertainment aspect of, of this whole thing. And, you know, I think Micah brought up a very good point about uh, being involved in these projects. I turned down my own TV show uh, with Canadian Discovery Channel because I, I just had no idea. I had no idea what they wanted to do. And when I found out, I didn't I realized I didn't want to be involved in a show that was exploiting innocent people. <laughs> the problem so, also with TV shows is quite often they don't know what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a show about weird events that happen in a weird place to weird people. You know, it's like I'm sorry if that's your you know your <laughs> your one line abstract. I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not interested in getting involved. I don't care how much money you're dangling in front of me. Forget it. Well, that's why they have so many pitch meetings. Each one has to be one minute. It's kind of like having presidential debates with ten candidates on stage, and they get what ten minutes apiece. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Yeah. We publicly fund elections, number one, but I, we won't even get into that. We tried that. You see where that went. See why I like talking to you guys. <laughs> Let me point something out, too, by the way, in relation to uh, Ray Stanford's involvement with some of the uh, contactees. Again, this this idea of guilt by association is, is curious to me because, again, to use the term wet behind the ears as you did, uh, Chris, we look at that period and the way that people were, you know, eager to try and answer the questions that is, that appeared to uh, be resulting from UFO observations that were occurring in the post-World War II era. You know, some of these actually occurred, obviously, prior to World War II, but really, I mean, it became a public phenomena there in the late 40s and into the 1950s. And so if there were people who claimed to be involved some way 
or in some way with the UFO phenomena. Remembering again that really that this kind of extraterrestrial meme that has been built onto this over the years is something that is, as I just said, it was built onto this over the years. At the outset, we didn't necessarily look at all this, although some people certainly did. And I think this was the influence of science fiction. But, but again, we didn't necessarily always look at UFOs and say, look, see, space visitors. That was one possibility. And of course, I guess the uh, Project Sign estimate of the situation kind of helped with that a little bit. I think in relation to the Charles and Whitted encounter, uh, that their interpretation of the craft observed by the pilots seemed to be something that did not conform to known aviation technologies. There's a lot more that could be said about technologies that may exist on the periphery of known aviation technologies, but we'll save that for later. The point here is, is that there were determinations made that in likelihood pointed to an extraterrestrial origin of UFOs, but that didn't necessarily mean that these things were spacecraft. And so those who were examining the phenomena with a little bit less bias were just looking at it and saying, okay, well, if we can, if we can find individuals who may be able to help us find answers. What if this is some foreign technology? What if there are people who are in touch with those, you know, in control of these craft? And therefore, if that's the case, is there some sort of a counterintelligence program or something that may involve national security that should be taken into consideration? So my question would be, rather than just leaping to the guilt by association thing and say, oh, he was a member of the Adamski cult, I would argue if an investigator wanted answers, why wouldn't they involve themselves, at least to some extent with those claiming to have direct communication and interactions with the phenomena. Now, that raises one issue, too, with regard to Major Kehoe's organization, NICAP. He wouldn't get near that. And the reason is that there's a matter of public perceptions. If you get too close to the more extreme cases, the serious people you want to convince of UFO reality will look elsewhere. That's a really good point, too, by the way, which, again, I think uh, you know, is still something that we see in the modern era. There are some very credible reports that maybe aren't afforded very serious treatment uh, because people, unfortunately, worry about the stigmatization that occurs in relation to the phenomenon and the way that it's treated, which is, again, why I think that we don't necessarily need to throw everything out with the bathwater. But I think that you know, fundamental breakdown of some of the terminology and some of the memes is necessary, which is why, and it really troubles me, I'm very careful about how I phrase what I do. I don't necessarily like the term ufologist, at least in relation to what I do. I like to say I'm a researcher of aerial phenomena, but when I meet people on the street and they find out what I really do, you know, in terms of books and things, they always come back with this. And you guys have probably heard this. Hey, I believe. I believe they're out there. One of the things that is often used as a pejorative is to refer to somebody interested in UFOs as a extraterrestrial believer. Yeah. Oh, extraterrestrial believers are coming together at this UFO convention. Right. And we're seeing the same thing in the uh, the conspiracy realm. Now it's the, uh, a, you're a member of the black helicopter crowd or <laughs> you're a truther or, you know, there's all these kind of imp implied sort of derogatory uh, elements to some of these terms. And speaking about the term ufologist, I mean, I go ballistic when I, I see myself on a show where I'm, I'm talking about something that has nothing to do with ufology and they call me a ufologist when I've asked them very directly, do not underlined, call me a ufologist. Invariably, somebody in post-production didn't get the memo, and they go ahead and just put that term ufologist. To me, it's it's like a death knell for any sort of credibility or gravitas. <laughs> I yep. hate to say that, but, but I really feel that way. It's just, I oh, you believe in aliens. You're the guy that believes in aliens. It's like, wait a minute. How do you know we're not the aliens? And whatever we call aliens are more terrestrial than we are. That's my, my blanket response. And, of course, people scratch their heads and go, well, he's weird. Yeah, you're weird because you're trying to say, well, 
let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. We don't know what this is. <laughs> you know, I have an announcement to make, and I will in our next segment. How about that? Oh boy! All right. I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. Yes, you will be. <laughs> Gene and Chris and Micah Hanks. Maybe they're not ready. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Sciatica, lower back pain, hip pain, poor posture. If you suffer from any of these problems, get ready to relax. Introducing an amazing product that's been in the market for over 25 years, the Sacro Wedgie. It was invented by a football coach using a common sense osteopath technique. He created this device to help his athletes by isolating and supporting the sacrum, which is the keystone of our anatomy. This wedge-shaped bone is in the center of our hips, where a lot of pain starts. Simply relax 20 minutes daily on the amazingly simple Sacro Wedgie and let Gravity do the work, helping muscles rebalance and start releasing nerves. Sit in the sacral wedgie at the computer or while traveling to help correct posture to finally help relieve those stubborn aches and pains for only $33.95. It's made in the USA, so click the family-owned website at sacrowedgie.com, spelled S-A-C-R-O-W-E-D-G-Y.com, or call 1-800-737-9295. That's 1-800-737-9295. Relax your back pain away with the sacral wedgie. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state in back taxes, you know they'll never stop coming after you. With bank levies, wage garnishments, they'll even seize your home or business. The good news? A government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. I'm Paul Sibley. With U.S. Tax Shield, we can help navigate the new laws, get you protected, and resolve your tax issues permanently. Call the experts at U.S. Tax Shield now for your free consultation and get a guaranteed quote to resolve your case. Call 800-436-6451. That's 800-436-6451. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. It's so lonely here. I can barely stand it. I'm waiting for you to stroke your keys and unload over GCNlive.com community. 
oh, come on, I know you have things to share. And there's a whole place waiting for you to share them. Light some candles, pour yourself a drink, and get cozy. Log in at GCNlive.com slash community. Lots of people are satisfied. Why not satisfy yourself at GCNlive.com slash community? I'm waiting. Get out of the friend zone at delicious.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Last week on the Paracast, we featured Margie Kay. Okay. And she's connected with Missouri MUFON. Well, it got to be a pretty interesting discussion when we brought up the question to Margie Kay as to why they were featuring at a Missouri MUFON meeting he who shall not be named the American representative for Billy Meyer Contacts. Well, as we are doing the show, which is on Thursday, August 6th, let me give you the preface here. After the episode, we acquainted Margie Kay with the evidence against Meyer. I sent her a link to this long Paracast forum thread where we had thousands of messages debunking Meyer. Oh, incredible uh, research on that too, I might add. It was amazing, and we have to thank I'll name them. What the heck? David Biedney, Jeff Ritzman, really doing yeoman work to put all this together. We then looked up the UFO watchdog that Royce Myers ran. It's an inactive site now, but it has a very informative page about Billy Meyer. I sent that plus links to the two episodes on which we had He Who Shall Not Be Named, sent them to Margie Kay and said, you really got to look at this. Now, remember, He Who Shall Not Be Named was supposed to appear the next weekend at Missouri MUFON. Except that event has been canceled. Yay! (laughs) And someone posted this in our forums. I just finished reviewing your information and links, as well as other evidence submitted to me by other people, and have come to the conclusion that this case must indeed be a hoax. Thank you for the information. Made an impact. I love it. The Paracast did it, folks. <laughs> you have to say it. we did it because Chris and I acquainted her with the facts. Now, before this, she claimed that, this is interesting here, she claimed she remote viewed Billy Meyer to confirm the case was genuine. I'll leave it at that. <clears throat> well, hey, let me just say, I'm fascinated with remote viewing. I'm fascinated with the concept, the fact that there have been taxpayer dollars put behind this, and not just in the U.S., but also in other parts of the world. And the possibility, even as indicated by certain, I think, FRC uh, investigations, that when the Milky Way is below the horizon, that uh, as much as a 300% statistical increase, which, I mean, really put into context, who knows exactly how significant that is, but it sounds good. (laughs) Well, where did that come from? I've never heard that. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a there's a document that was sent along to me by a friend who uh, I can't name because unfortunately there are you know some people who, by virtue of where they work and who they work with, they have to protect their <laughs> identities and whatnot. This is publicly available, and I wrote an article at Mysterious Universe that talked about this. But the document's available online. That was just an examination of some of the CIA remote viewing projects. Chris, I'll send that to you, and I'll try and get it posted over there. Yeah, the- I appreciate that because I've never heard anything like that. That, yeah. that some sort of stellar proximity has any sort of a demonstrable effect on remote viewing accuracy, success rates, whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. But I only bring that up to say that, you know, there may be some credible instances where remote viewing and the like uh, has been, if not demonstrated, at very least some very interesting correlative 
uh, data has been suggested. But that said, uh, I don't look at remote viewing as a good way to uh, justify the claims of a purported UFO contactee. And Billy Meyer, you know, may be an example of somebody that early on had legitimate experiences and that totally sent him off into uh, idea land to go ahead and, and manufacture, you know, a way to attract followers to, you know, a system of belief that's derived by the contactee. And Meyer would be a classic textbook example of that, I think. Yeah. And maybe I'm just being a skeptic, but, you know, I, I'll give the benefit of the doubt that, again, there may have been what we might call a... Uh, an entry experience, uh, experience uh, or a gateway, let's say a gateway experience, right? Uh, where someone experiences something, thinks they've seen something, it becomes a fascinating subject to them, they want to become immersed in the culture, and all of a sudden they start reproducing things that are suggestive of their continued uh, encounters. Whereas, I mean, here's the thing, the, the analyses that determine that, well, there's an actual physical object in those pictures, yeah, you know what? A model dangling from a string can very well be a real object. And to say that the photos aren't hoaxed and that it's a real object doesn't prove their legitimacy to me. That's just my feeling. And you have to uh, marvel at the ingenuity of some of these uh, hoaxers back in the pre-digital days especially. Some of the kids are coming up with some pretty pretty impressive stuff here in the digital age. I mean, I've seen some some pretty uh, pretty cool, you know, C CGI jobs, but of course they have none of the um, earmarks of a legitimate sighting, which can be easily uh, shown and used. Uh, the formula can be used to expose practically any hoaxed photograph or videotape. Um, yeah. Now, from the work of Ray Stanford and others, we do have some pretty, I think, really tried and true and and, and tested uh, litmus tests uh, that these. Um, CGI and hoaxed photoshopped uh, type events can be exposed uh, very easily. In fact, I, you know, I've gotten to the point now where I can just take, you know, two seconds uh, and instantly know whether something is, is real or, or is hoaxed just in, intuitively because of uh, the amount of, of training and the insight that I've gotten into the process of how to actually identify these things. I'm not a professional analyst by any stretch, but I think I'm better than some of the professional analysts at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and I think most people have a sense of what rings true when they see uh, some sort of an event. A classic example would be to watch Jaime Masson's presentation. I mean, he's up there for 90 minutes and is showing photograph after photograph, video clip after video clip. You know, my rough estimation is about 20% of what he showed was really compelling and deserving of more analysis and um, scientific scrutiny. And the rest of it was all just like fluff and fodder for the uh, titillation of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, and sadly, those who may be uh, less up to speed on the literature, less up to speed on the idea of the way to spot various artifacts that are uh, perhaps representative of digital rendering. I'm like you. I don't know, by the way, that I could take just two seconds, but I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is and I don't know what you meant by that when you say that, but I mean, I think... Well, yeah, it just hits you. It hits you when you... Yeah. Uh, when I see something that's le real, legitimate, I get an instant hit that it is. If I don't get that hit, then I have to sit there and kind of wait, and then invariably, nine times out of ten, I, I would say... You know, my suspicion that there's something uh, downwind to Denmark, uh, it, you know, holds true in my own estimation. Of course, I'm talking just about me. Yeah, but, you know, I know exactly what you're saying, though, Chris, and that you what you do is 
over time, if you try to educate yourself not in, okay, well, let's, let's look for UFO videos. Instead, we say, let's look for the elements that may support this as being something that is a legitimate object and not just some digital rendering. You know, if you do study digital renderings, how they're created, the hallmarks of what people use to compose these kinds of hoax videos, you can begin to spot the, the telltale signs very easily. And if you don't know... This is what I always say if you're not an expert, you know, although you spend a lot of time, years, in fact, doing this kind of thing, but for those who aren't experts who study, I always say, look, if, you, if you're serious about UFO research, try not to make that determination yourself. Find somebody who is right. experienced. And by the way, Chris, I was going to say, too, that, you know, with problems concomitant with observing videos and photos these days with manipulation, this is something that I never hear people talk about very much, but I think that's really compelling. When we talk about UFO sightings, some of the most interesting data, it may not necessarily be anything that meets the criteria of physical proof that you know would satisfy a physical scientist. But when we have the police dispatch recordings, have we ever talked about this before, the police dispatch recordings? You know, I don't think we have, but that's a really good point. I mean, just the emotion in the voices, I think, uh, betrays the impact of, of a particular event on the actual initial uh, investigating officer or witness or, or what have you. Let's Into- do the break, guys. We've got more to come. We'll continue this, the impact of those first calls to the police department. With Gene and Chris and Micah Hanks, you're in The Paracast. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Paid non-attorney spokesperson, Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas. is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Hi, this is Walt Augustinowitz. I'm the founder and CEO of ID Stronghold. By now you've heard our commercials about wallets that protect you from electronic pickpocketing. Ten years ago, I created a way to protect my own cards from prying eyes after government officials started talking about issuing a national ID card with a built-in radio chip called RFID. I felt having to broadcast my personal information was an invasion of privacy. Soon after, it was also announced that credit cards, debit cards, U.S. passports, hotel room keys, and even transit passes would all soon incorporate RFID. It was then I formed ID Stronghold to share my inventions in blocking RFID signals with the world. There are a lot of misconceptions out there today about RFID. I encourage everyone to get informed and get protected. Please go to IDStronghold.com and get the facts and the wallet sleeves or badge holders you need to protect your personal financial data. You'll be pleasantly surprised that through our direct sales model, you won't pay more than other comparable unprotected wallets. It is as though the protection is free. Visit IDStronghold.com today. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. What I specifically was talking about were the police dispatch recordings. Okay, this is basically the police officers calling their mm-hmm. their base station. Yeah, and, pro- and at times also communicating back and forth via radio with one another, and uh, and. You know, as you were describing, Chris, there, you know, the, not only the emotion in their voice, but also I think what you what you get is, uh, more importantly, a real-time running commentary on the objects as being observed by the police officers, being recorded as the object is being observed, rather than a retelling based on memory, which is... Yeah, Rendlesham would be a great example of that. Yeah. And, of course, some that come to mind for me, especially here in the States, have been, I think, was it, was it January of 2001 in southern Illinois... Uh, the report of oh, oh. classic the, that large triangle object. We had not just one or two police officers. We had a number of police officers across different municipalities and different departments, all reporting this recordings of the audio made yet again. And one of them managed, although it was a blurry photo with a polygraph or, or a Polaroid camera, uh, the photograph nonetheless was produced, which does seem to show some sort of an object which meets the uh, claims of those police officers involved who said that they'd observed this object and that thing. I mean, that was just an eerie uh, circumstance. They all described the same sort of a thing. It was just, again, a very classic, large, triangular-shaped UFO. Um, What that actually was, who knows? Some have suggested these stealth uh, stealth blimps and the like that uh, have been discussed, the possible DARPA projects. Who knows what these things are? But it seems to be that, that they are reported, and again, coming back, I always have to bring this up because it just illustrates how fundamentally biased many people are. Uh, Sir Stephen Hawking, one whom I truly do respect but often disagree with, 
to, to for him to say that UFOs are insignificant or, and the reports are meaningless because why if we were being visited would they only show themselves to cranks and weirdos? Well, numerous police officers, you know, reporting back to dispatch, communicating with one another, and taking photographs of an object that's traversing Southern Illinois in the wee hours of the of the morning. Th- that is not a bunch of cranks and weirdos, and that is further not proof of extraterrestrials. It's proof of some sort of a massive aircraft that numerous individuals and actually subsequent to that being widely reported as a result of uh, of television programs that documented the police officers and their uh, encounters and observations. There were other inv- individuals, one man uh, specifically who had been driving along and observed the same craft, and he was not with the police department. So there were additional witnesses and probably many more who didn't ever come forward, but the point is, is that those dispatch recordings are interesting because they give a real-time commentary from the officers, often who are armed at very least with binoculars, sometimes with cameras. And what's more interesting to me is the fact that in some instances, this happened with Stephenville, by the way, uh, there were police officers who observed the aircraft, same sort of thing, large triangles over Stephenville. A friend of mine was contacted by one of the police officers who supplied photographs, and I actually have a copy of the photo with this triangle and two orange orbs of light rising up toward it, which, if you recall, during the Belgian Triangle Wave of the 1990s, it was often discussed that there were independent orange orbs of light that would move independently from the craft and sometimes ascend and rejoin a larger triangular-shaped object. You know, there's a certain consistency between the descriptions of these craft, and yet again, we had police officers responding, some of them even taking photographs, and the police officer in that instance said that it wasn't in his position, he wasn't in a position to be able to share it, but then in addition to the photographs that were taken of the craft that night, that there was dash cam footage that was being withheld by the police department with which he worked. Don't you wish you could get access to something like that? And sadly, I don't know the name of that police officer, and hence... Again, people would say, well, then that is absolutely useless information. But I guess that the broader point is, is that there are people who are not cranks and weirdos, sometimes who are capable of producing photographic evidence and also audio recordings of these craft. And in many of the instances where this has happened, they are the triangle-shaped aircraft that are being observed by these law enforcement officers. So that's kind of interesting to me. And again, people don't often bring that to the table as good evidence, but you can get on YouTube and listen to these dispatch recordings all day and twice on Sunday. So it's pretty interesting. Well, the one thing about it is when you know what they really say. As we're seeing, by the way, when you have dash cam pictures of certain kinds of unfortunate encounters between citizens and police that don't work out well, when you hear the original version of what they say and then you see the dash cam video, you hear the audio, suddenly it's a totally different story. You can't put that kind of spin on it anymore unless you edit the video or the audio. Absolutely, which is, again, maybe with, you know, applying a little hope to this, if in the future there are more instances, and I believe that there have probably been some that have not been made public for purposes of, just like with Donald Kehoe, distancing himself from certain things so as to try and present a more credible air with the discussion of the UFO subject. I'm sure that there are police departments that we have numerous officers who respond, they see an object, they may even film something, but because of the controversy surrounding the subject, I think there are a lot of reasons not necessarily involving, well, they're going to think we're crazy if we say we saw a UFO. I think sometimes the officers may be of of a mind to think that what they've seen is a military craft and that really it's going to be a imposition on national security if they talk about this. And so I don't know what the specific chain of command or the or, or the if there are ordinances or anything that are actually presented to law enforcement, it'd be an interesting thing to try and ask about in terms of if police officers respond and see a craft 
uh, that may be some experimental U.S. aircraft or something of, of, of that nature, that they are to follow a certain protocol and this isn't to be made public. I don't know if that exists, but if that were the case, I could understand why there are incidents that are not reported. Well, here's um, that kind of dovetails into, um, you know, this um, segment. Uh, the show is really going by quickly, and we've only got a couple, three minutes here before we have to go to break. But but how about these mystery booms that seem to ebb and flow through uh, the last few years where you have a wave of, of reports of mystery booms and, and even some recordings? Um, you know, you mentioned on the forum that you've really been doing some uh, digging into this. And especially into the scientific, um, you know, aspect of this. And, you know, you, you've even got a website up here, mysterybooms.com, that has some of your, the results of your, your, you know, investigation. What, what can you tell us about this? I mean, this is something that um, I personally have not heard, but I do trust that there is something uh, to this particular uh, phenomenon. And, um, and there's something kind of strange going on. What do you think is going on? Yeah, and I'll try and be brief because I know there's an awful lot to try and cover, and you're right, the time's just flying by. Um, I had uh, become interested in the reports of booms during the last two winters in which we had numerous reports of booms. I mean, just report after report every day in the news. I created Google News filters so that I could actually track the reports and found that there were other people doing the same sort of thing and using Google Maps and satellite in order to uh, track and, and mark locations where these booms occur, which helps you spot a lot of trends. You'll, for instance, notice that around the Northeast and also particularly around the Great Lakes that there are a lot of booms. And uh, hence the popular explanation for a lot of these was cryosisms or frost quakes. But I became very interested, especially in reports that were occurring in the uh, the central uh, part of the United States and also specifically around parts of California that occur throughout the year, even in the warmer weather months. Some of them tend to peak during the hottest months. And hence, what you'll tend to find is that people will gravitate toward a, an explanation and then they'll say that this virtually explains all of the reports. And I felt that... Again, many of the more skeptical commentators were getting a little ahead of themselves with offering these explanations, and so I decided to try and look at there being possible causes that may underlie not all of the reports in, in terms of a single explanation, but whether there might be a variety of things that can constitute a loud boom or similar anomalous noise in nature. And what we find, of course, is that you go back, uh, the Federation of American Scientists in the 1970s said that there were sonic booms from the Concorde jet, when in fact the boom reports actually well precede modern aviation. They date back hundreds of years. They've been reported all over the world. In Greenland, there have been the Tundavderbai, the Seneca guns in New York. You know, We've got the, uh, a similar kind of a booming sand phenomena on the outer banks of North Carolina. Uh, they call them yen in Japan. There are different names in other parts of the world. Mist poofers, I think, is also a, a European term for it, so which means roughly fog belches. And so, obviously, I felt that there's an, a natural explanation for a lot of these. And uh, if we're we may be coming up on a break. I don't, I don't, is it, are you are we coming up tight on one? Or do we, uh, I'll tell you what, let's do that. Let's just tell our listeners that they can check out our other radio show after the PowerCast and the ad-free version of this show by going to plus.thepowercast.com. That's P-L-U-S dot thepowercast.com. We've got new ways to make it easier to find your favorite episodes. And we'll tell you how when you go there. We also have a copy of the ebook version of Chris O'Brien's Stalking the Tricksters to give away for those who subscribe for one year or five years. It's a great value. It's the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.thepowercast.com for more. As Micah Hanks suggested, it's time to do our break with Gene and Chris. You're in Boom. 
We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. The human body is more than 60% water. Your brain and muscles are 75% water. And your blood is 92% water. Water is vital to your body, and alkalizing your water is the key to keep it running at its best. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops keep your entire body healthy, boosts energy, promotes weight loss, and even fights cancer. Call 800-518-7615 or go to AlkaVision.com to find out more. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com healthy, organic, fresh fish, robust, mouth-watering vegetables, all from your home. It's called aquaponics. This brilliant, self-sustaining protein and veggie system is perfect for year-round growing. Know exactly where your food is coming from. Aquaponicsource.com is the one-stop shop for all your needs. Fish, fish food, plumbing, full systems, classes, and more. Learn to build your own system. Go to aquaponicsource.com for a free guide to aquaponics. That's aquaponicsource.com. We've been patiently waiting. Waiting while you tried to ignore us. Waiting while you acted like we didn't exist. Waiting for our chance to be taken seriously. The wait is over. GCN is available 24-7 at GCNlive.com. Navigate through news from your favorite hosts and download archives of past shows. Download the app on your smartphone or tablet or visit GCNlive.com for instant access and live streaming. GCNlive.com, the future of talk radio. Now at your fingertips. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Extend your life with Extend Hey neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know. I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking Extendivite. It's been approved to help my heart. Extendivite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years, and Extendivite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about Extendivite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking Extendivite. I don't want to stop. 
To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Over. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future. And you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're lowering the boom, folks, on this segment of the Paracast with lots more to talk about with Micah Hanks and talking about mystery booms, mystery sounds. Now, other than Superman breaking the sound barrier, (laughs) which I think they sort of tried to do in Man of Steel, the latest Superman reboot from a couple of years ago. All right. Is there a paranormal connection anywhere that can be found with this, Micah Kanks? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I didn't go into it trying to look for a paranormal explanation. Obviously, I, I go into it uh, as I feel any good researcher would do. And I, I, rather than trying to just become a skeptical debunker, because you guys know I, I consider myself fundamentally skeptical. But I do think that there are instances where modern debunkers, by virtue of the Ideology. It's important to debunk if it needs to be done. You guys did that and helped. You know uh, the, the the outcome of a of an, an upcoming MUFON meeting by virtue of doing that. So it it serves an important purpose. But when we get into an attitude where we think that everything that is seemingly anomalous can be explained by virtue of debunking, that's where we start encountering problems. And what I found with the mystery booms reports is that a number of commentators would offer simple explanations, usually geophysical in nature or seismic you know, phenomena. This, although a plausible solution to a number, maybe even the majority of the reports, such as the cryosisms that occur in the winter months, and, and I'll talk about more what that is here in a moment, but again, that doesn't explain all of the reports. And so what my determination is, is that there are a variety of causes and conditions that are conducive to the mystery booms as they're reported in a broader sense. A cryosism, again, is when you have groundwater that becomes saturated usually prior to the first freeze of the year and often before snow occurs because once you've had a nice snowfall, it actually helps insulate the ground somewhat. And so if prior to a snowfall, you have a good rain that happens, the ground becomes saturated, and then a deep freeze occurs after the fact, it can actually cause an explosive expansion that can emanate in a thunderous crack when the earth actually splits in conjunction with that freezing happening. Uh, it can, you can feel this sometimes. It can actually often doesn't register in terms of, of, of seismic activity, which is kind of misleading to people because many times they think that they're experiencing something that's seismic, something like an earthquake, and yet they'll contact the geology department at any university nearby and, and whatnot, and they'll say, well, you know, it doesn't appear to be anything seismic. We're not seeing something that's indicative of an earthquake. Often the tremors that result are very localized, and hence they aren't something that's going to necessarily... Uh, appear to be seismic in nature. So what really got to be interesting to me was that in the warmer weather months, why there are similar reports of booms occurring just as well. And I've heard people talk about almost constant booms reported in parts of California. And around the area of Mother Lode, there was a recent uh, report where uh, scientists had, had been pursuing the cause of some of these booms. Many had suggested, and it's often the case that uh, People look at uh, you know munitions, or they go to a military, I should say, military uh, installations that are uh, you know perhaps detonating surplus explosives and things like this. 
or, or just working out any kind of uh, operation that involves controlled blasts. Sometimes they're experimental in nature just as well. The cause of the mother lobe booms, they didn't think in any way this had anything to do with a military test site that was well over 100 miles away from where people were hearing these booms. And furthermore, those personnel at the base in question had, uh, in a recent interview, said that, well, well my, my office, I think the uh, commander on, of the base in question, had said, my base, uh, or rather my office, is 20 miles from the blast site, and I very, very seldom ever hear these things. So what's interesting is I dug up this report uh, that was uh, titled uh, Refraction of Sound in the Atmosphere, written by Thomas B. Gabrielson from the Applied Research Laboratory at the Penn, uh, Penn State University. He dug up some rather interesting uh, descriptions of reports dating back, I mean, centuries. And in fact, uh, one that was really, really interesting uh, went back to uh, uh, probably the 18, this was reported during the American Civil War, but a paper published in 1874 actually made note of the instance. Uh, it was featured a, a letter from R.G.H. Keene, who had watched the Battle of Gaines Mill during the American Civil War. This is what was mentioned in the report from 1874 based on Keene's observation. He said, I distinctly saw the musket fire of both lines. I saw batteries of artillery on both sides come into action and fire rapidly, yet looking for near two hours from about 5 to 7 p.m. on a midsummer afternoon at a battle in which at least 50,000 men were actually engaged and doubtless at least 100 pieces of field artillery. He said, not a single sound of the battle was audible to General Randolph and myself. However, the cannonade of that very battle was distinctly heard at Amherst Courthouse 100 miles west of Richmond, as I've been most credibly informed." And so people were trying to figure out why would people standing 20 miles away from a battle and within sight say that they didn't hear anything. And yet 100 miles away, people were talking about, whoa, we could really hear this happening. It's very similar to what was occurring around Mother Lode that scientists have recently determined is as a result of refraction of sound off the atmosphere, which can actually cause the loud booming noises of explosions occurring more than 100 miles away to become more prevalent a distance further away from the blast site itself. Now, what's also interesting about some of these booms is that the California Institute of Technology did an investigation in the 1990s with regard to some of the 19, uh, uh, actually a wave of booms reported in the early 90s, between 1991 and 1993 specifically. What they found was that the seismic signatures of the sounds seem to be consistent with sonic booms produced by aircraft. Now, what's interesting is Gogs McKay, our good friend over on the forums, had asked me, do you think that there's any indication that some of these booms could be sonic in nature and possibly from aircraft that aren't on the books. In other words, experimental aircraft. What's interesting about the Caltech paper, and I've got this linked in an article over at Mystery Booms, the researchers from Caltech said, yes, absolutely, based on the data and ba based on the actual waveforms, our determination is that without question, these are sonic booms from aircraft. However, none of the booms were able to be correlated with any known Air Force activity occurring over land or offshore, which would have been more likely in this instance, in conjunction with the times of the booms being reported. So they said that while we're sure they're sonic booms, we can't correlate them with any known Air Force or military operations. So that begs the question, if they were correct in their surmisal that we're talking about booms, what were the aircraft that were producing them? So I think that there is at least some precedent for the notion that there are aircraft in operation that are traveling supersonically, but which maybe are involved in operations that are not being communicated to the public. In other words, possibly black ops, possibly secret military operations, anything along those lines. That seemed to be what I took from that paper that the Caltech researchers uh, wrote. So in my opinion, there are a number of things ranging from sonic booms and also, of course, the you know refraction of sound in the atmosphere. And yes, at times, sometimes ge uh, geological or geophysical phenomena, seismic phenomena, 
that can account for the, the varieties of different booms that are reported. But we've got to be very careful that we don't leap to conclusions when we're trying to explain these things, because often people in their, and it's well intended, but often with their skeptical kind of exuberance, they, they want to just offer an explanation and say, this is anything but UFOs. By definition, we might say that there could be some mystery aircraft associated with some of the boom reports, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're flying saucers causing them. So that's the closest I think I come to something anomalous. I don't think it's paranormal, but those are my determinations, and you can read more at mysterybooms.com. What about these trumpet sounds? Uh, another interesting sort of correlation to the mystery booms are what people describe as like loud, sort of brassy trumpet sounds. I think uh, more rare, but um, I've heard recordings of some of them, and I can't figure out what it is. Maybe uh, Gabriel blowing his horn or something. Have you uh, looked into this particular aspect? I certainly have, and I've found it very interesting the way that a lot of the tabloids preach a kind of gloom and doom, doomsday kind of end of the world prophecy sort of thing in conjunction with a lot of this. And I think a lot of people do interpret strange phenomena that they perceive in nature as being something maybe eschatological or, 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 or representative of the end times. Let's not forget, however, that when, when they initially observed the object hovering over the Texas highway, that Betty Cash and Vicki Landrum said they thought that it was the end of the world, right? Many times you, you, you see people in Fortiana and in you know, representations of mystery objects or, or sounds or anything like that, that if it's something so seemingly implausible that they equate it with being something religious or even possibly with the end of the world. So that's not uncommon. But what I will point out is that in some of the r uh, reports in uh, Canada that involve these noises. There had been reports for a couple of years, and uh, in fact, uh, it was the same woman a couple of years apart who had been reporting and recording with her smartphone these strange noises. A subsequent video uploaded on YouTube, of all places, that someone sent to me showed that in conjunction with the noises, just over the hill in this little municipality, there indeed was a large parking lot that was being graded. Quite clearly, you can see the guy goes down to the, to the tree line and films the grader with its metal blade dragging against the, the, the uh, cement of the parking lot. And you can see this is clearly what's creating the noise, which is funny because we do know that trains can cause uh, the same noise. If, if a train in a train yard with its brakes engaged is, is moving, you, you can actually see that, uh, and there are videos online that show this, they show that the, uh, that the noise, a very similar noise, can be produced as a result of the metal scraping. And uh, my friend Sharon Hill of Doubtful News had uh, come to the Mystery Booms website when I wrote an article about this that linked to the video showing the grader, and she said, I don't know why this came up and why people are talking about this again. We already determined it was a train. And I said, hey, you know, uh, and I'd been reading an article that she'd written about that just earlier that day, and I said, you're absolutely right. Trains do make that noise. But the official explanation that the city had given in this instance was that it was the metal blades of the graders. So that was consistent with what appears in the video and with what the city officials had said. And again, in fairness, I just wanted to point out that Sharon wasn't wrong that that noise can be produced by a train. But in this instance, we don't want to jump to that conclusion that, well, if this can make the noise, that's what the noise is. Let's do our break here. We'll search for the booms a little bit more in our next segment with Micah Hanks and Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. GCN. 
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich? Working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare? Having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. They say pop goes the weasel. What do you say about booms? Uh, Lowering the boom. (laughs) Micah Hanks? I guess you could say any number of things, by the way. (laughs) But What about the whales? Uh, We've had quite a number of, of whale beachings. And, this is a uh, whale of a question, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, In, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I've been kind of worried about the Pacific Ocean. I think the Fukushima radiation uh, leakage into the Pacific is one of the most underreported stories uh, of the last hundred years. I'm very concerned about the um, health and vibrancy of the Pacific Ocean as a result of trillions of uh, hot particles being deposited into uh, into this uh, wonderful ecosystem. But we've been seeing lately more and more whale beachings. Of course, they've always occurred from time to time. There have been theories about you know Navy sonar training exercises and, and war game simulations, that sort of thing, with very powerful sonars screwing up the whale's ability to uh, communicate. They become disoriented. Um, They live in a highly uh, refined acoustic environment. But we've been seeing more and more beachings lately. And I think uh, in one of your um, suggestions here at forum.theparacast.com, you're looking into the possibility that um, deep underwater earthquakes may somehow also be contributing to this problem. There, there haven't been, as far as I know, any any scientific determinations made that 
you know, absolutely without question, uh, suggest a causal correlation between earthquake phenomena and whale beachings. But again, what has been proposed at times uh, is the the notion that and I want to be very clear in stating that because this is speculative. But the point here to be made is that in many instances preceding earthquakes, there have been circumstances where sometimes massive whale beachings, and also I think would have been uh, everything from bottlenose dolphins to uh, I think there's also what's known uh, uh, colloquially as the melon-headed dolphin that is a, a, a deeper ocean uh, species. But there was an incident uh, preceding one of the, the, the more tragic tsunamis that occurred in recent years off the coast of Japan that was preceded by uh, a pretty massive beaching of, of dolphins along these lines. Uh, there was also, although it, thank God, didn't result in a tsunami, Earlier this year, there was a deep ocean earthquake that was reported off the coast of uh, southeastern Japan, and that was preceded by a number of whale beachings, not only in Australia and also uh, along southern Japan, I suppose, in the, in the Ryukyu's area, but also, I think, off the coast of uh, California just, just as well. Marine biologists had noted that there was a greater incidence of whale beachings for this time of the year, and though in the past that uh, there are certain migratory paths that certain uh, species will follow, especially when they're you know headed north from Mexico and they head up toward Alaska and whatnot. So it's it's customary that certain times of the year during these migratory patterns that there are going to be some beachings. But I mean, we're talking about I think for where one or two would be expected this time of the year in in, in any normal circumstance, we have something to the tune of twelve or fourteen. In which case, we seem to be observing something that is greater than than uh, average. And so that's, I think, you know, fairly significant, especially when we do find that these beachings, maybe by a few weeks at a time, uh, will tend to precede the earthquakes. And so I, I believe that someone had suggested a study uh, be actually carried out to see if animals may be capable of detecting earthquakes. And, uh, you know, again, a skeptical commentator that I read uh, a lot of his work and I actually like a lot of his work, Benjamin Radford, had tweeted saying, good luck proving that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, I understand the skepticism, but again, I'm not just trying to attack skeptics, by the way, because note I mentioned a lot of them are my friends and I respect them. We stay in touch and we try and correspond and share good information with each other. But but I think that you know we can be so skeptical sometimes. What if one day we do find that as a result of the directional orientation utilized by various uh, forms of biology on planet Earth, when geophysical phenomena occurs, that directional sense, that honing ability is right. somewhat affected and thus these animals – uh, you know, get a little, a little. Um, I don't know what you say, disoriented, I guess, and then they become disoriented, and bad things can tend to happen. We see it with birds, fish, whales, a variety of different animals. I don't think we have to be necessarily so skeptical that we rule out what appears to be statistically significant. But again, to underscore all that, it, I don't know that the science necessarily indicates that there is a connection. But it certainly seems to be the case that when these whale beaching occurs, they they precede earthquake activity. I do think it's time we try to take seriously the notion that there may be a connection and try and apply some good science to that. Um, I totally agree. And and also the uh, the huge ore fish, um, which are deep-dwelling fish that, that can grow up to 50 feet long. I mean, there's some fairly famous photographs online where I think it was one group of like 30 or 40 sailors are holding this gigantic ore fish. And they rarely surface, if ever. And there's, I guess, a Japanese legendary tradition that when ore fish are found on the beach, that's an indication that there are earthquakes, uh, impending earthquakes ready to happen. We've had a couple of them off the California coast in the last, I don't know, I think two years, um, year and a half uh, possibly of huge ore fish that are being beached. And, and there's been some in Japan. And, you know, if there's some wonderful sort of ancient insight into this particular 
uh, portent, if you will. California may be <laughs> in for uh, the Haywood Fault, for instance, maybe uh, letting loose or possibly uh, the Cascadia subduction uh, zone or something. Yeah. Uh, God forbid that should happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be honest, too, is, you know, studying uh, the possible uh, seismic connections and whatnot in relation to these mystery boom reports is kind of what got me interested uh, because I was spending a lot of time at the, at the website of the U.S. Geological Service or, or Survey. And, uh, of course, I've always followed USGS reports because the earliest report well, – this is a subject near and dear to my heart, the Brown Mountain Lions. The earliest scientific report that sought to explain what the cause of the lights were was George Mansfield's report – uh, that was uh, published in a USGS circular uh, that sought to explain the the lights based on uh, the the uh, the occurrence of, or rather, I guess the um, the appearance of uh, railroads in the region. Uh, that doesn't meet all the criteria for explaining the lights because I happen to have at least a few good photographs that depict uh, an anomalous aerial illuminations occurring at night, which are well above the ridge line, and hence um, would not. To me, I guess we could we could look at what Orion, the uh, the uh, group of amateur scientists. Some of them actually they called themselves a- amateur scientists, but many of them were engineers and scientists working at Oak Ridge National Labs. But the Orion group back in the seventies, one of the guys whom I actually spoke with, they did notice that they could you know fire like an, a thousand candle uh, light above the ridge, and on the opposite side, it would appear as though a red globe were hovering over a ridge line. So refractions. Of ground-based lights could account for some of the reports of lights seen in the Limbal Gorge, but you know I think that natural plasmas and things akin to Earth lights, earthquake lights, or ball of lightning seems like a, a more plausible scenario based on the observations and some of the photos I've seen. But nonetheless, you know when you spend a lot of time looking at geological data, you do come across interpretations of some of these an- uh, anomalous phenomena, which is I think kind of what led me to looking at the earthquake connection with the whales as well. So it's funny how all this stuff's kind of interrelated at times. But again. I find more and more that you'll find so much good fodder for for study of anomalies in good scientific literature, but most people don't go looking for that, and hence they don't even know that it exists, which brings us, of course. Yeah, you have to wade through the non-entertainment to get to uh, (laughs) to get to the point. Uh, You know, if if it's not entertaining, most people, I think, uh, in general, you know, their eyes glaze over and they kind of like you know click uh, for the next page or whatever. Which is why you and Gene and I don't get asked to be on more of these TV shows. See? Actually, I got close to being asked on one TV show. And they filmed me asking questions of one of the hosts of that show. (laughs) But it never aired that I know about. If it did, tell me, folks. (laughs) You know, it, it was actually an episode of the UFO Hunters. And Bill Burns, one of the roving hosts or narrators or something, had come to Phoenix. And I think they were doing a Phoenix Lights episode. But it turned out I wasn't the best person to ask about Phoenix Lights. I never saw the Phoenix Lights. When the Phoenix Lights occurred, I was busy at home watching TV that evening about something totally unrelated. I I was watching the NCAA finals, uh, the basketball finals. You see, the lights didn't like us. That's it. The force behind the lights did not make a single effort to go ahead and alert us that something weird was going on. Because if they did, you know, Chris and I separately, wherever we were at the time, would have gone out and taken a look at things. I was in Casa Grande. They flew right over my motel. And they waved at you, Chris. (laughs) Didn't you see that? Listen, we've got Micah Hanks of the Graylian Report. If you go to graylianreport.com, just like it sounds, you'll check out his site and his material. 
With Gene and Chris, you're in the Bearcast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Would you like to use your IRA funds to buy precious metals and hold them at home? Are you wary of the stock market, paper gold, or faraway depositories? With a checkbook IRA, you may legally take custody of IRA-owned gold and silver. Visit CheckbookIRA.com and learn how IRA owners in all 50 states have already taken control. CheckbookIRA.com CheckbookIRA.com Hi, this is Walt Augustinowitz. I'm the founder and CEO of ID Stronghold. By now you've heard our commercials about wallets that protect you from electronic pickpocketing. Ten years ago, I created a way to protect my own cards from prying eyes after government officials started talking about issuing a national ID card with a built-in radio chip called RFID. I felt having to broadcast my personal information was an invasion of privacy. Soon after, it was also announced that credit cards, debit cards, U.S. passports, hotel room keys, and even transit passes would all soon incorporate RFID. It was then I formed ID Stronghold to share my inventions in blocking RFID signals with the world. There are a lot of misconceptions out there today about RFID. I encourage everyone to get informed and get protected. Please go to IDStronghold.com and get the facts and the wallet, sleeves, or badge holders you need to protect your personal financial data. You'll be pleasantly surprised that through our direct sales model, you won't pay more than other comparable unprotected wallets. It is as though the protection is free. Visit IDStronghold.com today. Age 59, and I reside in Florence, South Carolina. The doctors diagnosed me as having clogged arteries. Felt like I was carrying heavy concrete blocks around my feet and legs. 
I started taking heart body extract as directed. It is less than three weeks and I'm like a young man again. It's unbelievable that an herbal formula can work so fast and so powerfully. Learn the secrets of an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation at hbextract.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Chris is sounding disgusted that he couldn't see the Phoenix Lights. Do you hear that tone in his voice? Oh, yeah. Well, one thing we should say about Phoenix Lights, if you guys want to bring that up, is that Again, some of the reports seem to indicate that there was a large triangular-shaped aircraft, yet again, that was being observed, much like what was reported over Stephenville years ago, much like what was reported over Illinois in the, in, in the uh, incident that we discussed with regard to the police officers back in 2001. And again, somebody I, I, I like and I correspond with from time to time, and he's been a guest on this program, and we asked some hard questions of Robert Schaefer. Uh, when he was on this program with you guys, he had said that the Phoenix Lights, without question, can be easily explained um, you know, again, I, I kind of go back and forth on that point, that the whole thing can just be very easily explained. I mean, do you guys feel that, uh, that the, the Phoenix Lights is something that's purely explainable and that there's nothing to it, or, or were there actually some objects being seen? I know Peter Davenport seems to think that there were. Uh, I, at least personally, I do. And the event occurred about 45 minutes to an hour before the famous footage of the newscasters standing in front of the Australia Mountains uh, saying, oh, yeah, behind me, these, this huge ship. And what are obvious to me to be flares are the famous image that everybody has of the Phoenix Lights incident. However, the real event happened 45 minutes before those flares were ever sent up there by Luke Air Force Base or whomever. Right, yeah. And I don't doubt that possibly flares may be involved in some way. But again, there were some reports. And again, you know, Five Symington, you know, even saying, look, there was a great big triangular-shaped object that, that passed over me and that he had seen this thing just as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, that is what he said, right? I'm not, I'm not confabulating. He did describe a triangular-shaped, roughly triangular or chevron-shaped sort of an object, very large, that he observed himself. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. So, you know, and by the way, I don't want to – Bob Schaefer, I, I have a lot of respect for him. We don't always agree on things. But, uh, you know, it was, that was one of my favorite episodes of this show was when he was on. And again, we have a lot of common ground, like he pointed out on that episode where uh, I had said I didn't like Philip Class saying UFOs can be explained as ball lightning. In other words, you know, presenting <laughs> another little known or little understood phenomena in exchange yeah. for another, to which Schaefer said, absolutely, I agree with Micah. So, you know, of my skeptical brethren, I say sometimes we have to kind of butt heads from time to time in order to find the common ground so that we can make more plausible and rational determinations about what we're looking at. So just wanted to throw that in there. Well, I encountered Bob at the back of the room and at the UFO Congress, and he was um, snoring rather loudly during Stanton Friedman's uh, presentation. And I, no, actually, I think it was uh, Mark Pilkington. And I went over and nudged him and said, hey, uh, are you taking notes? And he, he pretended like he hadn't been asleep. And, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm listening now. <laughs> I had a little laugh at his expense. <laughs> oh, well, well, I, I got to tell you, I, I noticed the same thing once at uh, the Paradigm Symposium. Uh, that There was a, a lecture being given, and PZ Myers had been there that year. You were there, Chris. And there's PZ Myers sitting there asleep uh, in the audience. Uh, <laughs> so I went over and offered him a drink. I said, can I get you anything, PZ? And uh, yeah, he, he went back to snoring. So yeah. I have gone to some of these lectures where I would have preferred to have been able to go to sleep if I could. 
<laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's most lectures, except for Micah and Nick's. I was, I was like, listen to those guys. Let Speaking me ask you a which, quick question here. Since we're talking about the whales and we're talking about the mystery booms, now we think, of course, about phenomena that was reported decades ago. But current episodes of anything, what can you trace to so-called climate change? Uh, that's an interesting one. I, on the Mystery Booms website, I actually feature a series of, uh, on the right-hand column, a series of uh, frequently asked questions. And one of those is, are the Mystery Booms a result of climate change? Because this is something that, uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm not a climate denier. I've been called that by a lot of people because I've cited you know studies that seek to try and account for things like what has, what has been called climate hiatus, and whatnot. And I think there are obviously a variety of different interpretations and also a lot of good data that helps us understand why there are variances and hence the term climate change and not global warming as it once was uh, espoused to be. But although generally the, the, the trends are toward heating and this is what science tells us, but many people as a result of, I think, kind of less a scientific attitude toward the subject and more an advocacy for change in relation to it have tried to say, oh, these mystery booms, climate change, and I have to tell you, once again, it's easy to just kind of grab onto a hot button subject and say, yes, yeah, see, we've got all kinds of stuff. All hell's breaking loose all over planet Earth. It's got to be the fact that we've got anthropogenic global warming occurring. According to the USGS website and other scientific uh, institutions that I have gone and, and asked this question of, uh, none seem to indicate that uh, warming trends or other climate change occurring on planet Earth is in any way uh, correlative in relation to uh, the mystery booms or other uh, anomalous noises in nature. So I actually addressed that at the website, and at least as far as that subject goes, I can't tell you that climate change is the cause. We were mentioning earlier in the show the difficulty in being able to recall events that happened years and years ago, maybe even yesterday. I mean, if you look at the TV talking heads, they could be discussing the very same event, and you get totally different versions, and this is from supposedly trained reporters. But say we're going back to the 1890s and the legend of the airships. Is there anything new there, Micah Hanks, that we could talk about? I actually think that there is, and uh, I'll tell you why. It was long supposed, uh, you know, and again, Jerry Clark and a lot of the great uh, Fortean uh, were, I guess, he wasn't just one who cataloged. He was he was a, truly a chronicler and also a person who offered a lot of his own interpretations of things. But Throughout the, the years, guys like Jerry and a number of other uh, authors have looked at the old newspaper reports, you know, obtained through microfilms and whatnot, because as is evidenced by a rash of reports that occurred between 1896 and 1897, it appears that there were uh, <laughs> newspaper reports that indicated observations of mystery airships uh, over parts of California and other parts of the United States. And actually, they weren't just reported in the United States. Uh, there, there were reports that occurred in parts of South America and Canada just as well. Walter Bosley brought to my attention a report from South America. Richard uh, Dolan also uh, brought me just an incredible report from Canada from the 19th century that appeared to describe in, in truest sense, I mean, an airship of some kind that was observed in a very strange, you know, it's, it was, I should say under strange circumstances. It was in a wilderness area the last kind of a place that you'd expect something like this to be seen. And I think that Richard found that in the Canadian National Archives. In New Zealand in 1909. New Zealand, exactly. There were a lot of reports. I think uh, there was an Australian wave that uh, Andrew Nicholson uh, had uh, brought to my attention, which I mentioned in my book, The UFO Singularity. A lot of people, by the way, didn't understand why, if I'm talking about technological trends moving toward the future in relation to UFOs, as I did in that book, um, why I would tie in airships. And I'll get to that in a moment because I think there's a very clear connection. But, Gene, you ask if there's anything new. We look at all the different parts of the world in which there were reports of airships. And 
back in the day, I think that Fortean scholars were cataloging this information and chronicling the data, but the skeptical interpretation had been that, well, these were probably hoaxes because we know that hoaxes appeared in newspapers. Heck, Mark Twain had uh, actually uh, authored a few of them himself. And one of the reasons that journalists would do this was not just because news was slow one day and so they wanted to pull a joke on the readership, but also sometimes they were meant to affect political change, like California companies cooking their books and whatnot and engaging in nefarious activity. And hence, these hoaxes would be steered at trying to make these companies uh, give them the mistaken impression that their nefarious actions had led investors to do things crazy like committing suicide and whatnot. There were a number of reasons why hoaxes appeared, but I started wondering, is it really fair to say that all the reports of airships, any mention of airships in the 1890s were hoaxes? So this led me to the the natural question, why were they perceived as being such? And the general reason is that according to aviation historians, the technology did not exist in the 1890s to build such airships. Let's do our break and then get back to the airships of the 1890s with Micah Hanks, who was not there, despite what some people think. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. There are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle. Now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USE-SILVER for your free catalog or go to OneSilverSolution.com. OneSilverSolution.com. There is only one silver solution. Everyone says or does something silly once in a while. But once that embarrassing thing is on the Internet, it can spread like a terrible rash. Put it to rest. Get a free expert analysis today from Reputation.com. It only takes 30 seconds. 800-831-0771. We protect your online image by helping to make sure that when people search for you or your business, they find the most current, accurate information possible. Reputation.com. Because word travels fast. Call for a free analysis today. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state in back taxes, you know they'll never stop coming after you. With bank levies, wage garnishments, they'll even seize your home or business. The good news? A government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. I'm Paul Sibley. With U.S. Tax Shield, we can help navigate the new laws, get you protected, and resolve your tax issues permanently. Call the experts at U.S. Tax Shield now for your free consultation and get a guaranteed quote to resolve your case. Call 800-436-6451. That's 800-436-6451. Okay, honey, I have to ask, and be honest here... 
Have you been taking a little blue pill? Because things have been pretty good in the bedroom lately. No, I swear. You didn't pick anything up at the pharmacy last month in Cancun? No. Well, something's different. I have been taking that heart and body extract you bought me. But that's for your heart and to control your cholesterol. Well, I read HB extract also promotes healthy prostate function. I never guessed it would work this well, but... But you're glad it did. Oh, yeah. Heart and body extract is a 100% organic formula that promotes a strong heart, healthy arterial flow, better circulation, improves erectile and prostate gland function, and provides youthful energy, strength, and stamina. Find out more at heartandbodyextract.com. Heart and Body Extract, paired with healthy heart choices, is a winning combination. Call toll-free to order or for free information. 1-866-295-5305. 1-866-295-5305. We've been patiently waiting. Waiting while you tried to ignore us. Waiting while you acted like we didn't exist. Waiting for our chance to be taken seriously. The wait is over. GCN is available 24-7 at GCNlive.com. Navigate through news from your favorite hosts and download archives of past shows. Download the app on your smartphone or tablet or visit GCNlive.com for instant access and live streaming. GCNlive.com, the future of talk radio. Now at your fingertips. Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Of course, some people think I was there in the 1890s, or I'm not too far removed from the 1890s, and that is just not true. There was no photograph in the closet getting old as I get younger. Micah Hanks, back to the 1890s. What's going on? First of all, I actually was there, being the time traveler that I am. But uh, but traveling back in time here for the purpose of the conversation, again, it was often a preconception, as we said before the break, that the technology just didn't exist by the 1890s to build any kind of an airship on par with what we saw in the, in the reports. And maybe to an extent that's true, but I certainly want to be very clear that there were a lot of airships being built. Although the more widely discussed uh, inventors of airships are those who were in Europe who were building them at the, you know, as, as recently as the 1870s. I want to point out that uh, as far back as 1847, Solomon Andrews here in the United States had proposed an aircraft, which he wasn't successful gaining financial support for the, for the uh, construction of this. But he revisited the idea again in the 1860s. And this actually excerpt that I'm about to share with you comes from the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery News, uh, which states as follows. While serving with the Union Army in 1862, Solomon Andrews became convinced that a navigable, lighter-than-air craft would prove vastly superior to the tethered balloons that were used for military reconnaissance. So he resigned his commission and, at his own expense, began constructing the world's first self-propelled steerable airship. This is 1862. And comprising the three cigar-shaped balloons, a rudder, and an operator's car equipped with movable weights, the Arion, as it was called, made its maiden flight on June 1st, 1863. The Union Army, I want to point out, even, even President Lincoln had observed this craft, but they decided not to go with it. Later, he tried to revisit the idea for commercial purposes and, and institute a series of airships that would carry passengers commercially between New York and Pennsylvania. That idea didn't, didn't get off the ground, but at very least, there were airships that were built. And I found actually that there was a report that appeared, I believe that the article uh, was in, let's see, I can get that information, but uh, oh, here it was. It was the uh, San Francisco Gate that reported on what were called the now obscure history of pre-Wright Brothers aviation experimentation, where a number of inventors uh, in the 1890s had been working on airships uh, in California. 
Now, what's interesting Aero about Club. <laughs> we can talk about the Sonora Aero Club here in a moment because that, if there's any credibility to it, actually predated what the California inventors in the 1890s on record were building. But the question is, is again, if, if this information is now coming to light that there were a, a lot of inventors who were working on these kind of craft, and there's an article at micahanks.com if people want to go read it. It's called Airships of the 1800s, an Odd History of Aerial Phenomena. It goes over a lot of this. But again, the question is, if there were a lot of inventors and they had actually, however crude they may have been, but they were getting airships of their own design and often on their own dollar up into the air and, and demonstrating these things as being steerable and, 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 and navigable, then why has there been this idea that the aircraft couldn't have existed, that the technology didn't exist, and that the airship stories in the newspapers were hoaxes? Well, here's the reason why. In truth, a lot of these stories... Like at one time, Nikola Tesla and many of his inventions prior to the internet era had done, they kind of fall into obscurity because, again, the, those who succeed, you know, the Edisons in history are the ones whose technology, of course, you know, leaves that lasting imprint on history and whatnot. And at times we've had to, I think many would, would agree, especially in terms of the history of engineering and invention, we've had to rewrite and reconceive some of our ideas about the origins of some of these technologies. And hence, in recent years, Tesla. And others have given, been given their due and proper. But the point is, is that there were a lot of obscure builders of these airships that probably were not well reported and the information about them was not easily accessible prior to the internet era. The ideas, the misconceptions that there were no such craft and thus that no such technology existed spilled over from the pre-internet era into the modern day and skeptical commentators have continued to say that these are all probably just hoaxes. Which brings us to those reports from 1896 and 97 over San Francisco. This seems to have been a much more fantastic aircraft that was designed, and that's part of the reason, I think, also for the skepticism. But I became aware by searching through microfilm data myself, and a lot of this available online now rather than having to go to a library. I found uh, reports from the San Francisco Bee from February of 1896 that were describing an aircraft that was slated for uh, design and construction by a man named Charles Abbott Smith, some brilliant inventor in the, in the, in, uh, the San Francisco area. And... The story at that time in February was that not only had there been a company uh, that was hoping to fund this project, but that there may be a possibility that the military would match the uh, the project or match those funds and help get this thing off the ground, and hence that the military had interest in building these airships just as well. Charles Abbott Smith files for a patent for this aircraft, so you can see drawing sketches of what it looked like that actually appeared in the, the San Francisco Bee, but that later appeared with the patent that was uh, filed in April, I believe, of that year. And then, of course, in November of that same year, then we have reports of this massive airship seen over San Francisco. What's interesting is that I could never find any evidence that Smith's aircraft had ever been built, and I in likelihood thought that it probably hadn't been. But I did come across an interesting book written by Timothy C. Parrott called The Secret Life of Dr. Charles Abbott Smith, San Francisco's 19th century airship inventor. And I note in the article at my website that I just mentioned that it's a, it's a very obscure book. I didn't know if it was even still in print. I couldn't find anywhere to buy it online at all. And so I said, I want to try and track this book down and talk to the author. Lo and behold, I get an email from him two days ago, and he says, I've got copies, and I'm going to mail you one right now. And he says, yes, according to the data that I did at the request of family members of Smith, I do believe not only that I've unraveled a lot about this man's obscure history, but that there was a working prototype built and that it got off the ground. 
Now, I haven't got the book yet. It's on its way. So this is really just developing as I'm here on the show with you guys. But I mean, it's going to be fascinating if rather than UFOs and rather than newspaper hoaxes, I guess either extreme of the argument, it's going to be fascinating if we find that just another obscure portion of history that involves brilliant inventors, but that for various reasons didn't make it into the history books actually comes to constitute a real history of airships over Southern California in the 1890s. And it's looking more and more like that is indeed going to be the case. We also have to think here, if people in scattered parts of the world invented things, and maybe they didn't go much farther than local testing, since there was very little communication back and forth as we have today, those inventions could have died on the vine if they ran out of funding and had a crash or something like that. Certainly. And, and again, there's another point that should be made. I mentioned Walter Bosley, and he's written a great series of books called The Empire of the Wheel. And he'll tell you, they're, they're largely speculative, and there is a lot of, a lot of speculation in there, uh, although I think that it's in many instances well, very well reasoned. I like uh, Walter's writing. I try to gravitate a little bit more toward what factual data we can find, and sometimes it takes years just to be able to uncover that. In the second book in Walter's series, he addresses the idea that our Sonora Aero Club uh, and uh, this Charles A. Delashaw, not to be confused with Charles A. Smith. It's interesting some of the synchronicities in terms of names that pop up. But, you know, there was this story that years ago uh, that this uh, artist, Charles Delashaw's uh, notebooks were discovered in a, I think, in like a thrift shop. And what they seemed to, this story is pretty well known, but what they seemed to document was this role that Delashaw played as the draftsman for this secret group called the Sonora Aero Club that was operated or controlled or overseen by a broader organization called NIMSA, some sort of an acronym. I think some people uh, considered that to mean Nor- the New York Mechanical Zephyr Association. Uh, Walter takes a different interpretation and links it to possible uh, backing by a German organization, which in his interpretation led to the institution of airships being built in the United States as a part of a secret German operation. And the reason that the aircraft were kept secret, as would be indicated in Delashaw's writings about this, if they're to be believed as being something as a representative of factual and actual events that occurred, the reason for the secrecy had been because the airships were being used, and obviously in, 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 in outside you know, Germany, and hence that presents international issues, but, but for purposes of actually gaining access to parts of South America because they were actually hunting gold. So it's a very interesting uh, scenario. What can be made of these reports? Just because I've managed to uncover a lot of factual data about inventors who were using aviation technologies, although obscure technologies at that time, as far back as maybe the 1840s, 50s, and 60s in America, uh, that doesn't necessarily substantiate the claims of the Sonora Aero Club, but it definitely makes me look at it a little differently. Yeah. Because, again, I think a lot of people just aren't up to speed on the obscure history of aviation occurring in the United States during that period. So it's maybe not that far out that there were people building aircraft and that they had more clandestine operations for secretive purposes that maybe involve financial gain and also involve foreign powers. We just don't know. But what's interesting and why I tie it in with the UFO singularity in my book is – as Richard Dolan has discussed this idea of a breakaway civilization, we do start seeing the underpinnings of the ideas that there could be advanced technologies that as far back as the 1850s maybe uh, have been utilized for purposes that do not meet the standards or the same goals of you know humanity on the whole. And you know what? Before we go on, yeah. I'm thinking of the TV show Wild Wild West. Mm. Just when you talk <laughs> about this crazy inventions in the 19th century, Micah Hanks, Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Independently leading the way for the nation, compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. 
graphic converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into graphic converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in graphic converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy graphic converter. Use the coupon code night owl. Use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter. Go to lemkesoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E soft.com. Lemkesoft.com. L-E-M-K-E soft.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Virtually anyone can hack your cell phone and track your calls, your texts, your emails, your every movement, but only if they can detect a signal. Stay one step ahead of hackers and Big Brother with a Blockit Pocket, a custom-made pocket infused with pure silver that creates a complete Faraday enclosure for your cell phone. For free shipping to the lower 48, visit BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618, BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. We've been patiently waiting. Waiting while you tried to ignore us. Waiting while you acted like we didn't exist. Waiting for our chance to be taken seriously. The wait is over. GCN is available 24-7 at GCNlive.com. Navigate through news from your favorite hosts and download archives of past shows. Download the app on your smartphone or tablet or visit GCNlive.com for instant access and live streaming. GCNlive.com, the future of talk radio. Now at your fingertips. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich, working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week.
You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So I was thinking again more about the TV show Wild Wild West than the movie with Will Smith because it was such a bad movie, even though it was directed by the same guy who brought you Men in Black, Barry (laughs) Sonnenfeld. Anyway, we have Micah Hanks with Gene and Chris. We're going back through time looking at the inventions of the 19th century that may, you know, have either vanished with time or took on a life of their own. Then you brought up Richard Dolan and the theory of the breakaway civilization. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, that's that's something that really put Rich on on my radar uh, was, was the idea that, okay, rather than aliens, could there be an element of humanity that's utilizing incredible technology for purpose of something that is exterior to or peripheral at very least to the common goals of humanity as we know it. And uh, what's really interesting is that I think Walter Bosley, uh, uh, Joseph Farrell and others have kind of seen that same parallel. And and what's fascinating to me is when I read uh, Farrell's books or if I read uh, what Walter says or I read what Richard says, I find that we all kind of from our different interests and areas of interest in relation to uh, mystery avian aviation technologies – we all tend to start kind of coming to similar sort of conclusions about what may be happening behind the scenes, which led Richard to the, I believe he coined the term, uh, breakaway civilization. So that's where I get into airships in the book, The UFO Singularity. A lot of people, they didn't understand why I was tying that in with technology, but you've got to take into consideration that, you know, a singularity is, uh, at least in terms of technological singularity, is describing generally the advent of artificial intelligence, but that, of course, is going to be preceded by an intelligence or a technology explosion. And it's possible, at very least, that if there are individuals and organizations that have utilized highly advanced technology behind the scenes over the years, that some of the UFO phenomena could be explained in terms of organizations that are running counter to the conventional notions of how physics, electromagnetism, and engineering work, and have utilized this for purpose of designing these aircraft, the question, of course, is, which maybe is less interesting than trying to verify the existence of the craft themselves, but the question is, what purpose do those craft serve and who controls them? So, you know, these are interesting questions. And as far as a breakaway civilization goes, it certainly led me kind of into that realm of thought, which I think that Farrell, uh, Bosley, and Dolan and I all kind of share. So it'd be interesting if we all got together and compared notes sometime about that, but that's not strictly relevant. So that's Sounds like a great roundtable. <laughs> it would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> A breakaway civilization roundtable. Hmm. There you go. But even then, you talk about breakaway civilizations. Just considering whether our own scientists working under cover of the military using black budget money, whether they've developed all sorts of things, aircraft and other inventions that are far in excess of what we're doing now. I mean, we're doing some pretty amazing things. Yeah, we certainly are. You know, we're primitive in certain ways. And you wonder what's being done by scientists. And of course, that goes back to even UFOs, whether some degree of UFOs are basically secret aircraft of some kind. Speaking of the opinions, there were theories about that. Dr. Leon Davidson, I don't know if you ever heard of him, some kind of person with government connections. And he brought out a civilian version of Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14 back in the 1960s. And he had a theory about Earth-based UFOs. A lot of the UFOs we saw were really some sort of Earth-based craft. And then you add to that the imperfection of 
spew in perception and recollections of strange things, and you confabulate a few extra elements of the performance of those aircraft, and there you go. Yeah, there's some interesting determinations made along those lines. And I want to point out something, too, about one of those. In relation to the mystery aircraft and the the descriptions of many of them as being cigar-shaped, again, some of these aspects tend to kind of run parallel to some of the airship designs from the 1890s. Although presumably what would have been built in the 1890s would be far more crude and recognizable as being dirigible-like than the kind of things that we see reported, especially by the late 1940s. And we look at, for instance, the Charles and Witted uh, encounter, which J. Allen Hynek at that time had said was in likelihood a meteor that the men had seen. I always thought that that was a bit strange, and there have been uh, commentators who have noted that there appears to be you know, some, some discrepancies between Hynek's interpretation and subsequent determinations that that may have been a physical craft as proposed by Jacques Vallée and others. But again, I think that we have to look at that incident and think about a couple of things. Uh, the the pilots and you know, with the incident in question observed that craft. I think that something similar had been seen only days beforehand over France. Uh, we go back to I believe I believe it was July or August of 1947 when Jack Puckett again, who was uh, with Strategic Air Command en route to MacDill Air Force Base in Florida, observed almost the exact same thing and said it nearly collided with his aircraft. And he estimated it was moving at nearly 1,000 miles an hour, almost the same aircraft. And I think that when people say, well, Hynek determined that that was a meteor, well, it very well may have been a meteor, but a similar aircraft was being seen elsewhere in the world and, you know, in, in other reports that predated the Charles and Whitted observation. And also at that time when he was science advisor to Blue Book, Hynek was an individual who was trying to bring a scientific and skeptical interpretation of the UFO phenomena to the Air Force. Um, and, and, and this was, of course, his stated mission objective. But as we all know, later over the years, he began to look at the wealth of data before him and said, you know, I don't know that really swamp gas, uh, a term that is, you know, of course, many don't realize this, but it's also attributable to Hynek. He definitely softened his opinions and said, look, I don't think that we can be so skeptical that we can rule out all these reports. And so in terms of Hynek and Valet and different interpretations of what Charles and Whitted may have observed being in contrast to one another, I think that what we see instead is the evolution of Hynek's ideas about what UFOs may be. He may have maintained throughout his life that that one had been a meteor, but I find that the description of what the two pilots saw in that case was very similar to other reports of UFOs, some of which I talk about in my book, The Ghost Rockets. Let me go back in time very quickly here, because you want to get to Ghost Rockets, but I have a feeling it's going to have to carry over to this week's episode of After the Paracast. And that is with Hynek, I had, I think, lunch with him or a meeting with him ahead of an interview. This is back, obviously, in the 1970s. And I had the distinct feeling then that his point of view about UFOs was moving into the so-called three-and-a-half to 4D possibilities. He was opening his mind to lots of different possibilities. Unfortunately, he didn't survive long enough to really explore them. But he was a really sensible guy and was kind of unfortunate that, you know, he was not a young man, that he didn't hang on well, for a while. for longer. years, Valet had been kind of whispering in his ear, and I think it finally took hold at one point. Right. He was definitely listening. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I talked to him about a few of my ideas at the time. Unfortunately, this interview does not survive. I recorded it on a regular cassette tape, which I carried with me everywhere. It was one I acquired at a radio station I was working at. And this is, like I said, going back to the mid to late 1970s. And I interviewed a number of people like that. I interviewed Major Donald Kehoe and others. The Kehoe interview was, by the way, published in one of those tabloid newspapers but it went out of business before I ever got paid for it. If I can find the text, I'll post it. We want to talk about 
ghost rockets and specifically the theory from James Carrion about the Rosetta deception. And we have no more time. We have questions from our listeners. No more time. As you know, Micah, we have a second radio show called After the Paracast, which is available to subscribers of the Paracast Plus. Can we persuade you, please, to join us? I believe I will be around on the dating question. So, yes, that would be wonderful. And I, I definitely want to talk about James Carrion's interpretation. I don't really think it's that different from mine in truth. I think a few people, after hearing him on your show, have thought and felt that way. I don't find all that much of a difference, but it's going to be something we've got to dig into. So, yeah, I'd love to join you. Okay, so let me tell you about that in a moment, about how to join the Paracast Plus. But first, Micah Hanks, where can they find more of your stuff? Uh, well, of course, www.micahanks.com. That's my name. And then also graylyandreport.com are my two primary websites. At the Grayley Report, you're going to find podcasts. At my website, you're going to find uh, everything from information about me and books I've written to blog posts that I write about uh, this and that, whatever interests me. All right. You can find us on Twitter, by the way. We don't mention it very often, but if you look for the Paracast on Twitter, there we are. We've got a total of two official Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. And don't ask me to merge them. It's never going to happen. And what do I mean now by after the Paracast? Well, after the Paracast is our commercial-free radio show. It's a commercial-free radio show offered exclusively to members of the Paracast Plus. And you also get the ad-free version of this show. If you want to know more about it, here's what you do. You go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com, and you learn how to sign up and about the low price. We have a one-year subscription, five-year subscription. If you want to really just kind of keep the expenses down, you can subscribe month by month. It'll be taken out of your PayPal account. We also give you a free copy of Chris O'Brien's Stalking the Tricksters if you sign up. And this weekend on After the Paracast, Chris and I will be joined by Micah Hanks, where we continue this discussion, plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. Micah Hanks, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. It's been my pleasure, guys. The Paracast. Featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.